Hey, uh, again. Hey, what's up? <laughs> supposed to say hey, Jump. Well, it's the title of the show. I think they know who I'm talking to. <laughs> but it's to. the thing that we do. That's true. We'll try it again. Ready? <laughs> Is it that important? Yeah. All right. Hey, again. <laughs> hey, Job. All right, so I wanted to talk about something really weird today. I, I, I want to just get your opinion what on it. What a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know who Jeffree Star is? Oh, fuck. I should. That name sounds very familiar. He's a very, very famous YouTuber slash makeup entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, just recently, something happened to him where uh, he, was, he, had a, he had a warehouse that he just opened to store all his makeup and stuff. And somebody broke into the warehouse and stole a shit ton of his unreleased makeup. Okay. And is selling it. And I, I have to, it begs the question... Fucking because corporation or sad because person? Because they came up from YouTube. Well, I don't know. To be to just to let you know, he brings in about fifteen million dollars a year off his makeup line. I mean, he could still be a good person. You don't want that to happen to. That doesn't mean that he's like Walmart or something, right? That's a little different, I'd say. Okay. You still want people to have the opportunity to become big. As long as he's not, like, a piece of shit. But I don't know much about Jeffree Star. I just know that he exists. Well, that part of it's a little sketch. Okay. Because, <laughs> uh... <laughs> there's plenty of, uh... There's, there's plenty of things up there that, that he, that he kind of does that are shitty. Okay. But he makes good makeup, and people like it a lot. But, uh... Was this an unreleased line? Like, he didn't even announce it or anything? Or is this just base product? It didn't come out yet. Like, it was it was announced, but it wasn't released yet. <laughs> is this going to be like when, when Green Day got their album stolen, and then they were like, shit! We'll just make another one. And then they made American Idiot? Right. Okay. He's going to make the American Idiot of makeup right yeah. next? Okay, cool. Yeah. No, probably not. Just going to win album of the year? Release it, go like, please don't steal it. Like, please don't <laughs> buy the stolen ones. And then people are going to buy the stolen ones. Probably for a huge markup. Oh, that, that's yeah. another thing about this that would suck. Uh, like, you know, yeah, sure, you could say fuck a corporation, but, like, the corporation would charge you 20 and then the internet's going to charge you a lot. A oh, yeah, lot fuck more. people for stealing, by the way. Uh, uh, yeah. But I just wanted to beg the question, is he now a corporate entity, or is he still a YouTuber? Is he still the grassroots-type YouTuber, or is he now a corporate entity? It's really the question that I'm asking. I mean, he's not. A, he's obviously not a grassroots YouTuber. He's just a YouTuber. Like, I'm sure his videos regularly get oh, the millions. most views, right? Millions. So at that point, you're somebody like Jimmy Fallon, right? Yeah, I would, I would say so, yeah. It's kind of ascended past that. Yeah. Anyway, what? <laughs> why, yeah, are we, exactly. why are we talking about Jeffree Star? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Because why we talk about everything on the Get a Jump show, like makeup YouTubers getting their shit stolen? I'd rather talk about something more interesting, like a Genesis album about <laughs> about cutting off your dick and wearing it on your neck. <laughs> For once, I didn't have the super weird thing. Oh sure. <laughs> well, you know, is out of left field, but. Yeah. Something a little different. Yeah, you were just talking about a story instead of just going like, Where my dick this week, again? And I'm just like, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Where is it, again? <laughs> Where's my dick? <laughs>
Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Get It Jump Show. That's whoa. Been... Jubby's a SoundCloud rapper. I'm Jub. Hey, I'm Gen. I love when rappers make like Ed Ed and Eddie sound effects when they rap. <laughs> That's like my favorite sound effect of all time. I think you know what I'm. I, I tried to recreate it, but I really can't because no one can. That was fucking. I don't know what made that noise. <laughs> uh, it was a person somehow. <laughs> It just happens at random intervals in that show. Like, it's not even someone getting hit. It's just, like, someone enters frame, and it just goes... <laughs> it's like, what is that? So, again, I can finally ask you this question where you have something new to talk about. Uh, uh-huh. What have you been playing? Uh, I bought a couple games. Even though I'm not even finished with the games that I was playing the last time I talked about games I'm playing. It's kind of how it goes. Still playing The Witness. Still playing Devil May Cry 1. Still playing Resident Evil Code Veronica X. I'm sure there's a couple other... Oh, Burnout. Uh, I, I technically haven't finished Burnout, but we're close. We're close, baby. Gotta find some people to play online with to get one last trophy, and then we're out. We're out of Paradise City where the grass is green and the song is shitty. <laughs> get him. Uh, but I also bought uh, Lego Jurassic World. Fuck yeah, dude. And Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, that's a good one. Uh... Horizon Zero Dawn is great. I've only played it for like, I want to say five or six hours, uh, which felt like a long time. But then like when I was done with it, it felt like the game had just started. Uh, The prologue in that game is like super long, pretty expansive and long. uh, But I really, really liked it and it really set up the game well. Uh, I think my favorite part of it was uh, minor spoilers for Horizon Zero Dawn, a game that came out two years ago that you should have played already. But I guess I didn't either. So right. Whatever. Uh, you get introduced to like these other young characters who are like embarking on. Uh, they call it the proving. Right. Along with you, and uh, one of them was someone who bullied you in a in a previous scene where you were a little girl, and the other one is a new character. And they were setting them up, and I was like, oh, okay, so these might be characters that uh you interact with throughout the game because they're really setting them up here, and then they just die. Like oh, in yeah. the next scene, <laughs> and that that was a good twist because uh, I did not see it coming. I d- I did not see us being attacked right after the fucking like Hogwarts opening ceremony of this game, uh, and then there was a guy with like a giant Gatling gun, and I was like, I didn't expect that shit. And uh, the last thing I did in the game was learn how to ride robots as horse, and that that's good. That stuff's cool, yeah. This is a good game. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the lore in the world, because I know that that gets deep, because you can talk to people and there's lots of conversations you could have. Like, I wasted so much time talking to, like, the fucking sun priest man and all this shit, just because I was, like, curious about the lore of this game and oh, it's really how there's deep. multiple different religions in this post-apocalyptic world that are all kind of different. Yeah, it, it's very neat, actually. The, but just uh... like in real life, they're all wrong. Oh yeah! Ooh, tip my fedora. Oh, they are very wrong, but you'll you'll get to that when you get to it. Yeah, that shit's fucking awesome. Uh, and then Jurassic. I mean, it's a Lego, Lego Jurassic World's a Lego game. Uh, but it's made me realize the kind of Lego games that I prefer, which is definitely the ones where they take an established franchise of films or something, and then they directly parody it as the game. Because with Jurassic World, you get not just Jurassic World, but Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3. 
and they just lift the sound files of the actors talking to be the voice lines in the game. And they, you know, there, there's a couple other Lego games that are like that, like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, and I love that style because it becomes direct parody for children, of course, but it's still quite fun to see Lego Jeff Goldblum be an insane person or Lego Velociraptors ride motorcycles and do stupid shit because they're directly parodying the movies. Uh, do you remember in Jurassic Park 3? Probably this, not. Yeah, okay. So there's a scene where <laughs> um, there's a scene where Sam Neill uh, falls asleep on the airplane and then he has a nightmare and it's like when he was in the helicopter in the first Jurassic Park and he looks over and his uh He's, he's hearing someone say Alan, and he looks over, and it's a velociraptor, and the velociraptor says Alan, and then he wakes up out of it, and it's like his partner saying Alan. Uh, and that's like a, a memeable scene. So they do that, except it's him in the helicopter, and then everyone says Alan, but they're dressed like the characters from Jurassic Park 1. So there's like a Jeff Goldblum velociraptor. Oh my god. And like the woman, and then a John Hammond, and the fucking old man. They're all velociraptors. <laughs> and, uh, that's good. That's good. The additional like thing that makes this one interesting to me is you could play as dinosaurs, and that's a big part of the game. And that's a lot of fun, just wrecking shit with a giant T Rex. And they're, they're, they're very much kids' games, and they're very easy, but part of my brain sometimes wants to relax when I play a game, but still play a game and not really have to think about anything. Yeah, like it's the it's it's the complete opposite of the witness, a game that challenges your brain. <laughs> right. This one, you just turn your brain off, and you're just like, okay, cool. Let me just you know make the the numbers go up in the Lego game for a while. Ooh, big number. <laughs> that's which you know sometimes that's fine. I find it really relaxing. I know Lego games aren't for everybody, but that's kind of how I appreciate them. No, they're fun. Uh. I was looking for a game to do that after uh, after I finished the game, the game that I've been playing and finally finished. Uh, actually, I think I talked about the fir- very first episode again in Jub. I think so. Yeah, uh, I finally six months later finished Red Dead Redemption Two. Hey, it, it's basically like you sat through a show, dude. Seriously, and the episodes happened every week. <laughs> seriously, it's like it's crazy, wild. Yeah, like I was talking about before. I think what I was saying about it before still plays out, where. It feels like you're watching a long-running Western show, and each chapter is a season of it. And each mission is an episode. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a cool then, setup for a game. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, little dividers in between a lot of that stuff, too, where it, like, kind of makes it flow like that. It's very, like I said, it still, like, moves like a crawl through most of the game. Very slowly building up all of these characters and this setting for you. Like a TV show. Yeah, and it pays off so fucking well. Think about all the best shows on television now. Think about how slow the first season is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the first, like, two seasons, basically, of Red Dead Redemption <laughs> right. 2 are like that. They're very slow-moving, but it, it gets you invested in... Like, if you're if you're able to stick it out, and if you are if, if you like these kind of things, if you like westerns, um, you'll get very invested in the setting and the characters, and, with, and it'll send you on a fucking journey through the rest of it. Uh, I don't want to get too... I don't want to really get into spoilers about it. Even though, I mean, it is six months later. There's still a lot of people that haven't played this game yet, and they should. 
and I haven't, and I know a couple things, so I, I don't. But I still want to experience a lot of the game for myself. I know a lot of the things that happen, and some of it is things that I would have predicted because this game does have the one of the only unfortunate things about it is that it is a prequel to one. So you kind of know. So there's certain things you can kind of connect the dots on very early, right? But still seeing it play out is a completely different experience and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's 100% about what the best part about Red Dead Redemption 2 are its moments compared to like the like the overall story is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. But I think what makes it that is all of these individual moments that happen throughout it. Uh some of the most beautiful and like touching and heart-wrenching moments I've ever experienced in a video game happened in this one. Shit. And it, it's just so well-crafted, so deliberate. There's a segment of the game, I won't get too far into this, but it sets everything up for you where you, know, you, you, just, you just get done doing something major. You, you're, this is the very beginning of, the, of one of the chapters of the game. And, you, uh, and it, it puts these pieces in front of you to go do something. And then while you're doing it, a song plays. And it literally times it perfectly. When you're done doing that, the song finishes... You didn't have to do that, but the game puts that right in front of you and says, here, do this, and then it creates this fucking amazing moment for you. Okay. And it lines okay. up perfectly. That's cool. Um, but you don't have to do that, and you can make it weird. Apparently Josh did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Rockstar does have those kind of things, things like that in their games. It's incredibly um, deliberate. I was just thinking about Red Dead the other day unprompted just based on like you know because i was remembering the debacle uh when it was coming out and there was all the the massive report uh was it from kotaku yeah was it jason schrider yeah okay no wonder i was thinking about it uh because i am tying it into a a recent thing uh because i was just thinking about like how there was that article about rockstar having massive amounts of uh crunch time to yeah. get this game done and how it was just such a massive undertaking amongst everyone and people were just overworked to hell to make this game. And I was thinking about that in relation to BioWare making Anthem, which was another Jason Schreider article that came out recently detailing all the things that went wrong with Anthem and how the one key difference I can say, because it's both situations where people are overworked and probably massively mentally overworked as well right on both things but for rockstar i can at least say that the people making it seem to have a collective sense of pride about it for the most part even though they were going through hell to make it because yeah. what they were making they knew was fucking lit and then with bioware it seemed that they were just kind of Fuck, we have to put something out now. A lot of that has to do with direction. Yes. Um, Which Rockstar at least has someone in charge that's like, this is how this is going to fucking go. Right. And then Anthem was like a very scattered, like, no leader whatsoever kind of situation. People who were supposed to take a lead, according to Jason Schreier's article, uh, people that were supposed to take a lead on Anthem didn't do it very well. Or left the company as well, yeah. Yeah, and that that led to a lot of issues where... uh, as far as I know, that didn't really happen as much with Red Dead. And plus, they worked on this game straight for fucking, like, seven years. Yeah. And and, it, and I understand that. And it that. still needed crunch time, and that's oh, yeah. fucking wild to it me. It still needed to, to do a lot of stuff afterwards to fix some issues of the game. 
the game's cinematic mode wasn't working properly a lot, where it would just run you into shit. And you, like, yeah. you would just, like, you would turn cinematic mode on, and if you, like, were, were like, uh, riding through a town, you just, sometimes you just hit somebody. I could put a bounty on your head. I think I talked about that the first episode of the show. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. They fixed that now. Like they. Oh, that's cool. That's patched out. Uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It I works. expect things like that to happen with every major game now, but it's a question of the amount of that. Like Anthem is something that's like almost inexcusable how like fucked up it is at launch. But 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 learning about how I, I highly recommend read that article by the way. Yeah, going to talk learning about. This article how to how the development went it's like there was no other option for that game that's just how it was going to be right that's unfortunate that there's no other option because i mean if ea should have gave them more time i know they developed they had a lot of time and came up with nothing anthem was damned from the start not just because of like the like internal issues that it had but also because of the frostbite engine and yeah, that's a shame. This, that's a major point in that article, is mm-hmm. that Frostbite is an engine that was developed specifically to make Battlefield games. Yeah, and then EA was impressed with the visuals, which is because that's something that they seem to care about more than a lot of things, and forced everybody to use it. Everybody. Yeah. And whether they worked on Battlefield knew how to use it, by the way. So just everybody has to use it. They have no idea. Great. Yeah, so many games, so many of their games have suffered because of Frostbite. And it, it, it's not it's not meant for them. They needed to use something like Unreal I hope they, to make Anthem. I hope they shift gears, but the thing that worries me is EA is a company that only cares about money and whether their game looks good. Graphically. Right. I think that's the only two things they care about. And Anthem didn't sell bad. Didn't sell, I guarantee you, was way under projection. Sure. For a Bioware game, guarantee you was way under projection. But it might have sold enough that they could not change how they make shit. And that, that's worrisome to me. But anyway. Uh, did you watch anything, or did you just kind of have uh, no time this week? Because I know you went to, uh, Jusby went to PAX. Yeah, so I didn't know, I didn't really watch anything besides a lot of college basketball, but... Uh, okay, <laughs> but I'm not gonna talk about that on here. <laughs> well, let's but, talk about packs in a minute because I, I I I watched some stuff. That yeah, I feel like you would like to talk about. I watched some heckin' anime. Oh, did you Miyazaki movies? Oh yeah, that's right. You know, my brother told me about this because you watched it with him. Yeah. Oh fuck! I'm trying to remember the middle one because we we had a Miyazaki sandwich. Uh, we had uh, but in the middle we watched uh, uh Garden of Words. That's what it's called. God, I, I still feel bad that I couldn't remember it. Uh, Garden of Words is. I'll talk about that one first, I guess, because the Miyazaki movies will right, kind of be in. talked with each other. Uh, it's like a short film, I guess, because it's not like feature length. I think it's like 40 minutes. No, it's not very long. Yeah. By uh, the guy that did uh, Your Name. No. I, I thought it was. I don't think that. No, that's, uh, that's the same guy who did, uh, who did five centimeters per second. and. Uh, yeah. I thought that was the Your Name guy. Is it? Oh, you're right, it is. It oh, is. okay. That's what your brother told me. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry, <laughs> okay. I was thinking about the wrong thing. Uh, well, it makes sense if it's the Your Name guy, because it's very much, like, it's very relationship-driven, it's very character-driven, and it, it, it's heavy, heavy shit. Uh, so, sort of realistic in its portrayal of how relationships can be. And uh, I dug it a lot. 
I highly recommend watching it. I'd recommend watching Your Name as well, because that's a, a fucking masterpiece as well. Uh, and I, I think Your Name was better than this, but... It's just a very simple movie about two people who are kind of not feeling their life right now, and they skip out on school or work, in each of their cases, to go waste time and sit at this little... I don't know, I guess like gazebo or like something in the middle of a park. And uh, they begin to get to know each other and value that time heavily. And it's about their relationship and its progression. Right. Uh, And I won't say any more than that because there's some good twists and shit. And it was really, 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 really good. And also, yeah, the animation in that is top notch. Yeah, uh, that studio knows what the fuck they're doing. But Koto Shinkai, that's something I was looking up because I thought I would see this uh, the director of that has a new movie coming out this year. Yeah, okay. It's called Weathering with You. It's going to come out in Japan in July. All right. Um, so we'll probably get it next year or something. Yeah, we'll get it probably early next year. Okay. Or it might go up on yeah probably about six months I'd say yeah it'll go up here. Miyazaki's new movie, uh, his his last movie, at least one assumes, but we already assumed that with another movie that I'm about to talk about. Uh. Comes out next year. Yeah. So we'll probably get it 2021. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sad about that. I have to assume think... it's Miyazaki's last movie because the man is like approaching 80 years old. Right. I thought this. I thought the, the other movie you're going to talk about here was going to be his last movie because it's perfect as his last movie. But I understand that, but the little bit I've read about the next one is interesting to me and it could work as his last movie as well. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a master. I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah. Don't watch, watch it. Anyway, at this yeah. point, I've almost watched... There's a couple key Miyazaki movies I'm missing, but I, I've watched enough to know that he's the best. Right. Uh, so we watched Totoro. I love this movie. Totoro is precious. It's so good. It's wholesome. It's yeah. probably the most wholesome movie in his catalog. Yeah, I think for so. sure. A lot of his movies have fucked up shit in it. And if, if they're still like more geared towards kids, they at least have a dark bent to them. Yeah, like Kiki's, for example. Uh or like Princess Mononoke, which is that's almost not even. No, that's movie. that doesn't even have any kind of kind of kid thing in it. That movie is fucked up from start to finish. I guess not, but like <laughs> all of his movies are about young protagonists. Usually. Right. Yeah. Uh, Totoro's really young protagonist. Oh yeah, just little small girls. child. Uh, and it's just like if you don't know anything about Totoro, good. Don't know anything about Totoro. You don't need to. It's just I don't know. There's this family, and then. There's Totoro. <laughs> it's a movie and, about imagination. Yeah, or maybe like um, embracing weird occult things instead of being afraid of them. But that's like a really slight part of it, I think. It's definitely, I think more, that about, might... it's definitely more about like imagination and the preservation of youth, I think. Yeah, but like, that. so the implications of the movie is that everything is real. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which... Is, is precious and sweet, but also kind of terrifying to me. Uh, just because of what is in the movie is kind of terrifying to me. You don't want Cat Bus to exist? Uh, I kind of do, but it's also terrifying. <laughs> and so is Totoro. Because, like, they're, they're equal parts cute and kind of creepy, but then, like, even when they do creepy things, the kids are like, <laughs> Totoro! And I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of cute. I couldn't even pretend that it wasn't fine. Right. So, 
but it, it does have heavy shit in it, but it's very light. Right. It, it's approached like you don't know a whole lot about it because the characters themselves kind of don't know a lot about it because it's something that's like you know an issue that would probably be tipped around tiptoed around with little kids like right. you know because the movie is supposed to be told from their perspective yeah so that that's why you get shit like that you know it's not really a spoiler it's part of the plot but like their mom's in the hospital right and you don't really have like a clear indication of like what she's in the hospital for ever in the movie or how serious the problem is but it seems serious and they kind of tiptoe around that issue because, well, I guess you would as a kid because you don't right. want to be like, hey, your mom has cancer and yeah. she could die. Oops. You're just like, oh, she's sick. And then that's it. Yeah. And uh, it gets heavy towards the end. But, like, I, I, that's highly, I mean, that's high. That's a movie I would highly recommend to any child or any one. Yeah. Because, really, <laughs> like, it, it's it's definitely his most kiddie movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I think there's enough in it to. Appeal. I think it's also his most iconic as far as design goes. Yeah, everybody knows what Totoro looks right. like, basically. The the other movie was his most recent movie, The Wind Rises, which I think is your favorite of his, from uh, what you said. Th- my my personal opinion is that it's the greatest animated movie ever made. You might have a case for that. That movie was fucking beautiful. Yeah. And heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And. Just God, what a devastating movie! Yeah, it is. It really, but is. also a beautiful movie. Like, I, it's really hard to put to words. I loved it. I think you have a case for it being the best Miyazaki movie at the very least, and best animated movie probably. I think it is. It's I, very up there. I could, I could literally. I've said this before. I could literally publish an essay about why this is the best <laughs> movie ever made. I've thought about it for a long time. Yeah, but I think it nails. I think it does some, some something better than no other animated movie does is that it it like 100% perfectly nails everything it wants to accomplish visually with its storytelling and with its script. I think there yeah. is not a single blemish in any of those and those are the three singular like most important pillars of an animated film. And I I don't that every every other animated film I can think of has at least some kind of blemish in those and I, I don't think it exists with that movie. Yeah, basically everything is perfect in that movie. Everything works. And it's it's really not a kids movie. No, I, I was actually reading uh, that uh, this was originally a, a manga that he made uh, as an adaptation of a book, which is about real events. Right. Um, certain things are invented. Uh, I think the entire romance side plot, actually, which is one of the most devastating, like yeah. actually important parts of it. Uh, but I think that's all actually just created. It is, yeah. Um, Miyazaki, I, I think, from from what I remember, did not want to make this as his next movie. I, he actually wanted to make a sequel to Ponyo, and I haven't seen Ponyo yet. I don't know why he wanted to make a sequel to Ponyo. Ponyo is one of his weaker ones, I I, I keep hearing that. And it's weird that he wanted to make a sequel at, at all. You think he'd make a sequel make to sequels. Like one of his more popular ones, like, like Totoro. He, he doesn't uh, make sequels usually. No, I don't want him to either, because he's like above that shit. Right, I, I like I like that he that we get an entirely new, interesting world every time we see something. Yeah, coming. like he learns from his previous movies and expands oh, yeah, upon sure. ideas from them and to the point where, like, this is probably, like, the pinnacle. <laughs> I think so. Uh, 
but but he it was a very adult subject matter, so he didn't want to make it because he has that reputation of being the kids' filmmaker. And then someone on uh, his team convinced him that he should do it because it's good to like introduce kids to subjects they're unfamiliar with, despite the fact that the subject matter might be heavy. And I kind of see what he's saying, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've had arguments with people before because, like, I, I can't even remember who, but like, someone was telling me that Up shouldn't be viewed by children, the Pixar movie Up, and I was like, no, it has like uh, dumb dogs and and shit in it. And she's like, yeah, but the first ten minutes are so emotionally insane. We could, but, and I'm like, yeah, but like people die, but, yeah, and maybe like, kids should like I think learn that. Like, I think that's of, a thing that they should learn. Now I'm not a parent, so I mean that could be wrong about this, but I think I think it ends up harming somebody when you try to strip the concept of death away from them. Yeah. I think I think it's easier to just well better for like men- mental health on people to make sure they know that death is a very real thing and death can come at any fucking moment. Yeah. And it is just it is a factor of life. Mm-hmm. The, the opposite side of it, which is death. And you need to be okay with that. It's fucked up and hard to learn as a kid, but, like, you have to at some point. Right. Otherwise, otherwise, somebody close to you dying for the first time fucking throws you for a loop. I think Up is, a, Up is a great movie for that because it shows that, like... You can move on? You can move on from that as right. well. Uh, I think that's a very good lesson for kids. Because, you know, even when you lose, like, a goldfish as, a, as a, like, a fucking little, little kid, it's you're like, oh, that's the fucking worst thing ever. Uh... This movie doesn't really have a good you can move on lesson. No. It sort of does, but like it's not just fucked up because of death. It's well it is, but it's also just like there's there's a real question of like, you know, it's a, if if you don't know, it's about um a real life man who designed airplanes around World War 2 and they were airplanes that were used for bombings and shit right. that Japan used. Yeah, it, it's I love all the themes in this movie because it is about like, it is about like love, the tragedies of it. It's also about the tragedy of genius. Yeah, it's like it's kind of that like uh, what, what what am I trying to think of? Like the guy who made the hydrogen bomb. Like, right, same thing. Kind of yeah. like hated what he created or was afraid of it because like it it's like the world is different now, and like I've created a thing that killed millions. Right, and and it's kind of that kind of like issue it's like you know what i believe is the most beautiful thing in the world is to make these fucking bomb ass airplanes right (laughs) but my government is going to use them to kill tons and tons and tons of people and then because they killed tons and tons and tons of people the other side's going to retaliate and then more people are going to die and it's just that question of like is this on me is this on me right should i still make what i think is truly beautiful and maybe technologically advanced that will pay off in the future or am I guilty of all this death? And that's really heavy shit. Oh, yeah. And it's a great concept to explore in this. And they explore it to the T. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think they explore it perfectly. Explore a lot in this movie. Yeah, you get a lot of, you get a a big breadth of understanding of, of his psyche and, like, Everything. I also like the cool little like dreamlike sequences that happen in it. Those were my favorite fucking things in the movie. They were so neat. Uh, I I actually like without getting too much into it, uh, cried at the end of the fucking movie. Yeah, same. And I haven't cried at a movie since. God, I don't even know what the fucking last movie I've cried at is. 
Because that just doesn't happen anymore. The movie's so fucking gorgeous. It just... It gets Yeah, you. I was just, like, ruined. I couldn't think about anything else for, like, a couple days after uh-huh. that movie, actually. That's how I've been uh, feeling since I finished Red Dead. Just... Wow, okay. Shredded me. Shit, that... Man. I'm, I'm terrified to start that game. Because <laughs> not only is it going to eat up a lot of my time, it's going to eat up even more of my time than it ate up of yours. Right. Because I'm the kind of person that, like, goes, oh, side quests and collectibles and you avoided all that and it still took you goddamn forever <laughs> yeah i think it, i think it was total like 60 something hours it's like playing an rpg <laughs> <laughs> but about horses rabbin <laughs> man i had a really nice reliable ni- uh, 1899 honda civic i was riding around for a while oh man but go yeah. watch the wind rises it's it's fucking 12 out of 10 uh i i looked up and got mad at the oh, year yeah. the year that it came out it got nominated for best animated feature and i'm like well obviously it won right no frozen won, and that's fucking bullshit i'm not saying frozen's bad it's okay but that's stupid <laughs> frozen does not do anything significant enough to beat out the wind rises i i think just nobody watched it that was voting on the category because it's stupid the wind rises they usually all watch miyazaki movies though might have been or is worthy of not just the animated best nomination picture. just best picture in general it was yeah. just fucking just it's not just an animated movie it's like one of the best movies i have seen right I, I, it, ever people get hung up on animation and just associate it with kids shit this isn't at no. all no i don't think so i think i think a child would have more trouble understanding the nuances of it i don't think they would appreciate it as much right um it's definitely his most adult movie, but, like, that kind of works if you grew up with it, which a lot of people did with Miyazaki. Yeah. I'm really hoping, uh, because Disney kind of owns the leg of releasing Miyazaki stuff in the West, that they, on their streaming service, they put the Miyazaki shit on there, because... That'd be sweet. I don't really think there's anywhere to access it, besides no, buying buy the it. shit. And thankfully, they are mostly readily available at, at, like, a lot of stores. They are still expensive. Oh, yeah. Because they're highly sought after, and there's it only just, so many. Anime in general is expensive to buy in physical format. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, actually. Yeah. It's hard to, like, keep it's up like with uh, most Most movies you could get, like, for $10, $12 on Blu-ray. Miyazaki movies are usually minimum 15 yeah, that's and that's disappointing because you want as many people to see these as possible because these are some of the best movies ever made. <laughs> right. I I'd, I'd categorize at least four of Miyazaki's movies in some of the best movies ever made. Yeah. The only ones I got left now are uh, I, Spirited Away is the biggest one. Spirited Away is one of his most acclaimed, and I haven't seen it. That's the one that sparked like a gigantic following of his movies here in the West. It probably sparked all the the. The English dubs, which that's what I usually watch because the English dubs are great. They were coming out before that. Were they? Yeah. Okay. They, they were still coming out, but it wasn't as big. I remember watching Pronching uh, Princess Mononoke dubbed you know, long before oh, okay. Spirited Away came out. It still has really famous people in it for just they all an do. English anime dub. It's they not, all do. It's not like what you typically associate with dubbed anime well, voices. Because they're, they're Disney productions. The, the English dubs are Disney productions, yeah. so they hire high-profile actors but to make like, sure they do well. They don't phone it in. They do a really good job. Like, The Wind Rises has uh, fucking... Uh, why can't I think of his, uh, why can't I think of his name? 
I'm an idiot. Hold on. I'm looking it up. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And John Krasinski. Like, I, I was like, is that Jim from The Office? That's Jim from The Office. Yeah. Uh, like, Werner Herzog. Like, all these people. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Martin Short. Yeah, it's fucking crazy who's all in that. And they all... Wait, William H. Macy's in it. this? Yeah, I don't remember who he is. I'm look. I'm, I'm looking it up. Hold on. <laughs> I'm curious. Who the fuck does he play? Uh, Werner Herzog or Horzog or however you say that. I, I'm actually not entirely certain. I is the German man that appears. Right. Uh, that was an interesting side jaunt in that movie. I really enjoyed that. Oh, these are this is the Japanese. Yeah. It, but anyway. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. It was really. excellent shit. So do you want to talk about the good time you had? Or Yeah, sure. So uh Okay. I I kind of talked about it. Let's do that before last we get week. into the misery of the Walking Dead. Right. Yeah, I talked about this last week because to talk about going to Pax East. I went, came back. Uh it was fucking awesome. This is the first time I've ever been to a Pax event or any kind of large-scale video game-based convention. Okay. It's the only one we have here in the East, really. Like, like, like you, towards the West, you have, like, two different PAXs. You have E3. You have, like, Con- you have, like San Diego Comic-Con and, like, all these huge fucking things for, for big entertainment. Everything here goes to, like, New York or something. Most of it's New York. Uh, I mean, Boston's close to New York. But as far as gaming goes, this is the only one. Yeah. So, yeah. So usually you see a ton of people going to Paxies. It's the most. It's probably the most popular. Out I mean, of all you of them. went, and then like everyone I follow on Twitter went. Right. <laughs> like that. That is even close to a video huge. game person. It's super, super huge. Uh, and it, the event was fucking insane. I, I, I haven't been to something like this before, so I was really taken aback by like how much there is there. And I think there there was a good like. I think, like, upwards of, like, 90 booths. Is it very much like a con, but it's, like, kind of different focus? Sort of. What, the main focus of the event... I'm assuming there's not as much, like, you know, crap to buy all around. Oh, no, there is. Oh, okay. There's vendors everywhere. But that's not the whole reason The for point it. of it, the orig- at least the original point of PAX, was for indie devs to show up, make these booths, and demo their games out to people. And that still happens at PAX. But there's also a large subsection of it now devoted to larger developers and the AAA stuff. Sure. Which I didn't visit once. <laughs> well, I hear that those uh, would take a they long time fucking, to go visit anyway. For the Sony booth, you basically had to RSVP online oh, in Jesus order to Christ. get into okay. these. And usually you just get capped off because it take too fucking long. Uh-huh. Like, I wanted, to, I wanted to try Days Gone. Yeah. And the line would have probably taken me a solid three hours just to play this demo. And not worth it to me when I could just, when I could, like... In the same time, you could go experience, like, four indie games? Yeah. Sure, I got Four or five, maybe. Yeah. Like, some of them I could just walk right up, start talking to the developer, and start playing them. That's really cool. That's and cool that you the, can do that. Especially in the PAX Rising area, which is the, the like, the smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, the, there's the indie mega booth where you have all the uh, indie devs and pubs. Showing off all their stuff. Okay. Which is a big part of PAX. Takes probably about half of the place. And then you and then you have uh 
PAX Rising inside that, which is all the smaller stuff. Uh, my favorite game that I played there was in the PAX Rising section. What was it? It's called Treachery and Beatdown City. Oh, shit. That's a weird name. <laughs> it is. It's a very weird name. Um, Open Mike Eagle's in this game. What? Which is very weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like a, like a news reporter man, I guess. Uh, it's it's uh, very strange. Uh, okay. <laughs> he's the news? Yeah. You go if you watch the trailer for it, you see him like right at the beginning of it. It's funny. Okay, that's awesome. But what the game is, uh, it has the aesthetic of something like River City Ransom. Okay. We have like sort of like a uh, like sixteen bit or eight bit looking uh, like side scrolling beat 'em up game, right? Okay. Uh, the best way I could describe it is it's like that, but if you had Vats, the system from Fallout. Oh. Where you can you can start punching stuff and it's not that effective, but you could pull up an action menu, and you have you have action points and skill uses, and you could do different moves using those. Holy shit! That are more powerful. And That's then the enemy neat. gets a chance to do the same things to you, and you and then that pops oh. up a screen where you can try to you can Defend. block, attempt to jaw okay. dodge. It's an RPG, but also but has like also beat 'em up elements to it. That's neat. It is it is a very unique and cool game. It was a lot of fun when I played it. Okay. Uh, I got through... I almost beat the demo, but then the game locked up on me. Oh. I mean, it is, it is a, you know, a game in progress. In the dude was like... The dude looked over, he's like, oh, man. <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's like the second time that's happened today. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I wanted to buy a t-shirt from them. They didn't have it in my size because I'm a fat fuck. That fat. I literally walked up to the guy. I was like, speaking. "They were selling shirts for twenty-five bucks, and I was willing to pay that to give them some money and get a shirt." And I was like, "Do you have it in fat fuck?" And then they were like, "Largest we, largest we got to next sell." It's like, "Sorry, man." I'm close. I've been losing weight lately. I'm close to wearing an XL, but I'm not there yet. And maybe I could have bought it and just worn it later on. That's dope, dude. But like, it was a cool. It was like a per, it was like a pink shirt, and then it had like the logo on it. Cool. It was really fucking neat. You would like a pink shirt. Yeah. I like pink. It's a good color. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, there's so many other games I played. I played the uh, I played the DLC for The Messenger. Yeah. The uh, very, very amaz- amazing indie game that came out last year. Um, I got to talk to a lot of people who worked on that game. That was really cool. And uh, it's really fun. It's got like a, like a summer beach aesthetic to it. And so when I beat it, they gave me funny sunglasses. They have like a beach thing going on. Yeah, and you're the only one of the only ones that fucking beat it. They're, they're not Apparently. a lot. Yeah, not a lot of people. <laughs> Apparently, it was too hard. I didn't think it was too hard. I died a bunch, but like, that's kind of what happens in the messenger. So comparatively, I was like, yeah, to that game, yeah, but sure. it was really cool because it, like, it was like a auto-scrolling surfing level. Okay, you're, you're on surfboard and you uh you have to like dodge rocks and stuff. But it has this really interesting mechanic where you have like this shield thing you could put up in front of you. And that smashes through, like, wood and other things that aren't rocks. Okay. And then as you smash through more things, you speed up. Oh, And it right. makes it level faster. Neat. And then you also use that to fight the boss at the end of it. That'll be cool for speedruns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will. You, you, people will find out a route to go super fucking fast through it. Mm-hmm. Every time I got, I was going a little too fast, I ended up getting hit. Because it's just, like, moving so fucking fast that I couldn't see. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm doing this to myself, so... Right. But it was really, really cool. I'm very excited for that. It's supposed to release uh, later this year. Cool. That's going to be really neat. Uh, I played a... I went to the 505 booth and played both games that they had to offer. Okay. Uh, one of them was Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Yeah, that Castlevania ass. Yeah, fucking... it's fucking Castlevania, all right? Yeah. 
Um, it is like. Is it just literally Castlevania? It is the entire lifeblood of Castlevania. Now, which Castlevania are we talking? Are we talking like classic? We're talking like Symphony of the Night on. Oh, okay. The, 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 those are the, the Gen. Uh, I forget his last name. Castlevania games? The Gen Castlevania games. <laughs> his name is G E N, so I call. I think it's just. I forget how it's actually pronounced. I, I don't think it's Gen. Okay. Well, it's Gen. But, uh. Gex. <laughs> but he, uh. Yeah, so you have the Metroidvania thing. He, yeah, he basically I gotcha. invented that. Symphony of the Night style. Right. Yeah, between, between what he did in Super Metroid, basically invented the Metroidvania genre. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, it has all of that in it. It has this like really weird, like, the animation's all very 3D in a 2D plane. It's one of those, like, 2.5D games. Oh, okay. And it was very off-putting for me at first when I started playing it. I didn't like it too much, but as I played it a little bit more, it, it kind of grew on me a little bit. It, it is still kind of gorgeous to look at, but just kind of weird when you're playing it in 2D. But uh, what's really cool about it, and one thing that I really liked, and that one of the people pointed out to me, well, one of the PR guys pointed out to me, is that uh, you have to, like, the game will put you in situations where you have to switch the weapon you're using, which in all the other Castlevania games, that really wasn't a thing. Okay. It was just kind of like use whatever weapon you want to use. You can make it work. But I was fighting the boss at the end of the demo, and I was using a short sword, and it was during this phase of it where he's overhead of you. Oh. And doing attacks on you. You and can't reach him? You can't reach it. But the game gives you this giant-ass claymore that you swing overhead. Uh. So you switch to the claymore, and now you can hit it. That's interesting. And it does stuff like that. So it wants you to switch up weapons. Okay. And I like that. That's cool. Yeah, it makes you it makes you actually change up the way you play instead of just doing one thing through the whole. At fucking least has something different going for it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, speaking of Metroidvania's, I paid, played another Metroidvania called Kunai, which was announced uh, during the second day of PAX. Oh. And then demoed on uh, on Saturday. Okay. And Sunday. I played it on Sunday. Uh, it's this really weird looking black and white with red with red. Sure. Sort Sin of City game. aesthetic. Yeah. It's more white, a lot, a lot of white okay. know, instead of black, because Sensity is usually darker. But this is like well, a very like yeah. white game, kind of like a drawn type thing. And you're this little robot, mm-hmm. and the robot's fucking great because it has a screen on it, right? It's like looks like a little TV guy, but it's a robot. Okay. And and whatever you do in the game, the robot changes facial expressions, and it's always fucking funny. The <laughs> way right. it looks, they did like nailed that is, shit. Is he like the robot from Saga? <laughs> yeah. Just like has a war flashback on his screen, <laughs> and they're like, "Whoa, dude, what's going on?" But yeah, they nailed that. The characters, I like the character, like the main character a lot. It's really, really cute and funny. But uh, the core concept of the game is it's a Metroidvania, but you have two kunais as your main things, right? Okay. And you use them to like get around and like like clip off of walls and stuff. Like they're attached to ropes, so you throw them, and then you would you would you can lift yourself up. But you can only throw it in the direction that, that, like, the hand's on. You can't change the trajectory. Okay. So it makes it really interesting that you kind of have to, like, either alternate between them or time when you need to throw each kunai to move around in the game. And that's really neat. And then you also have, like, a blood-sucking sword that you kill shit with. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it, like, restores your health and shit. It's already going to kill them. Why does it need to suck their blood, too? I don't know, dude. <laughs> But you like you're you're beating up a bunch of other robots and shit, and it's really cool. Okay, I like the aesthetic of it a lot. It's a very short demo, but I kind of got what the game is, and I I kind of want to play it. So it's really neat. Fair enough. Uh, the other game at the five hundred five booth that I played uh, is called Indivisible, 
Okay. It is a uh, it's a real time battle system RPG. So everything's happening in real time, but it kind of feels like Mario and Luigi. In that you have uh, it, it kind of goes for more of a comedy thing to it. Like it's very, very humor based. And okay. It's dialogue. And uh, when you're in the when you're in the battle system, you use like these command buttons to uh, for each person in your party, and you have up to four. And you, one face button is used for each party member, and it's very interactive in where where you attack and block, kind of like how Mario and Luigi is. That makes sense. And it's got really, really nice animation, too. It, like, it looks really good. That's a series I want to jump into one day. It's brilliant. I love the Paper Marios, but I've never really, like, really dived deep into the Mario and Luigi games. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Yeah. And they're they're about, at least the first two are, like, just as good as, okay. as Paper Mario. So you'll, you'll like it a lot. Paper Mario 2 is one of my favorite fucking, I guess, RPGs. I don't know. I'm not really the kind of person that plays them, though. Right. But it's a standout game for me. I mean, I got some notes here. Let me pull them up so I can uh, talk more about some of the other stuff I played. Yeah. I, I forget some of them and their names. Was there any cool shit you just saw while walking around or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw, like, a lot of cool shit. Uh, I'm sure that everybody has, like, weird setups. and. Oh, yeah. I like the, uh, the messenger and setup. Merch was... and shit. Right. Yeah. The messenger setup was really cool because uh, it was set up like a little beach house thing. Okay. And, and apparently they bought like a bunch of dumb shit from Ikea and then used it <laughs> to build their booth. All right, cool. And then they had, they had a little merch booth that was right next to where you played the game. And uh, it was set up just like a little like a, like a little drink hut you could find at a beach. That's cool. Yeah, it was really neat. By the time I got there, there was a shirt I really wanted, but by the time I got there, it was sold out. Sad. A lot of people there. Snooze, you lose. And I got to play a really interesting game called Creature in the Well. It's a... Uh, okay. It's a top-down game. You ever see the game Fury? Uh, I don't know what that is. It's it's a top-down game that kind of has, has like beat 'em up elements too, but it's also like a bullet hell game, and like throws a bunch of shit at you. It was a PS Plus game. Like a Hotline back. Miami or something? Yeah, except Hotline Miami is not bullet hell. Uh, I, I guess not. It's just you die quick. Right. Bullet hell is like there's a bunch of shit coming at you and you have to dodge it. Maybe like a like a. This is probably a bad example that no one remembers. I made a game with zombies in it. Yeah, actually. Okay. Yes. Yeah, actually, that that, that is very similar. And uh, but it, it, what makes it this game stand out is that it's based on energy. Okay. Okay. These little energy balls, and balls. you have to hit them like and like oh, like put the energy into other things and like either destroy them or overcharge them, and it creates energy for your character, and you use that to open doors to advance to the next area. Where the game gets crazy is when you hit things with energy, it shoots it back at you. Okay. And then so it shows you that at first, and there's just like a couple little things you do it, and it shoots the energy back out, and then you can shoot it back at them and charge it some more and all that, right? Sure. And then it adds more stuff to it. Then it adds more stuff to that. And then all of a sudden, it's a bullet hell that you're basically creating for yourself. Oh, now that's interesting. Okay. Where you're shooting all this energy around to hit all these things, and it's just shooting it right back at you. But the thing is, you keep doing it, and it makes it more crazy every single time you do it. And then all of a sudden, you've, you've made your own bullet hell, and now you have to survive it. That's interesting. That kind of reminds me of uh, this little indie game that I have on PS4 called, uh, I think, Extreme Exorcism or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where, like, it, that's more like a standard side-scroll kind of controls. But the, the basic conceit of that game is it's round-based, and uh, 
The first round is easy. You just kill a ghost. But then the second round, whatever pattern of movement you did during the, the previous round is the enemy now. And you have to oh. avoid your path that you took. And then the next round, it's it's doubled. So it's like every previous That's time. Forced you to keep switching it up. Yeah, you only have to kill the one that was like the last life that you led. But like you have to kill that ghost. But you have to be careful because they'll go and run and get the weapon to kill the thing that you did. And you need to not like be on that path right then at that moment. You did, oh, so, shit. but you could kind of set it up in a certain way because you can galaxy brain it, and you can be like, "Well, I'll kill the ghost this way, so that my pattern is that way next time, and I'll know that, and then I'll get them easy." But it, then it stacks on top of each other, and it's really hard to keep track. Of. <laughs> wow, okay, that's uh, a really, fun little game. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, Creation Duel is really cool. Uh, look, that's that's one that uh, y'all should definitely look out for. That's a deep cut that no one will get. Except for the people that are our friends that I showed uh, that video to. I played some new content for Dead Cells. Okay. Which is a uh, which is a roguelike game that came out last year. It's like a roguelike Metroidvania combo game. Yeah. Uh, it looks really cool. It's kind of it's Dead Cells. It gives you a couple new weapons. Uh, it's, it's fun to play. They had a really cool booth. It was set up like a castle. Oh. Uh-uh. That was a really, really neat booth. I enjoyed that a lot. I played uh, Sukibon Games. So people who made the, that... Kind of like uh, cult PC hit Valhalla. Yeah, I played their new game, which is called okay. Nirvana. It's yeah, kind of like a spiritual sequel thingy. Oh, okay. Uh, very good. It's uh, it's the dialogue's great. You're 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 making drinks. Oh, it's another one. Men wondering oh, yeah, making it's, drinks. It's more it's oh, more uh, cyberpunk bartender action. Hell yeah, I gotta play Valhalla. Uh, it's coming out on Switch and PS4 soon, I think. Is it on PS4? I think so. We get that plat though. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure it's... I might be on PS4 now. I know it's coming to Switch soon. Oh, I'll buy it if it's out now, shit. Not yeah. that I need another game to play, but I always need another game to play. Uh, I played a platformer game called Evergate. It's a... Uh, sounds like a 90s game. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter game, and uh, they're they're nearing completion of it, and they had a they had a, they had a little, little booth at the Paxis. And uh, it's a really interesting game. It's based on the afterlife. And you're like a little ghosty boy in the afterlife. And uh, you kind of just kind of navigate through these areas and discover what your past is. But what's neat about it is you use... Uh, oh, you don't remember or something? Yeah. Okay. Because it kind of starts coming back to you as you're playing through the game. But the, what's interesting about the game is you... Uh, at any point, you could hold down the right trigger. And it pulls up like this... It slows down time and it pulls up this little aiming reticle, right? Mm-hmm. That shoots this energy. And it interacts with you hitting different things with that that'll cause stuff to trigger. You have to use that to solve puzzles. Like, there's one where, like, you will, you'll hit this thing and it'll boost you. Sure. Right? And then you have to use that to kind of make yourself traverse along like, these big open areas. Uh, there's another one that will, if you hit a block with it, it'll literally swap your place with that block. Okay. And then you have to manipulate that, like, with your positioning to make it so you can traverse. It's very cool, and it happens like... And then once you get good at it, it starts happening quickly. And it throws you into stuff where you have to act faster and do very specific things. So it's like... It's a puzzle platformer. Okay. And it's uh, it's very, very neat. It's it's very cute. The, the main character is a little cute lad. I don't know if you saw it. It's just that guy. 
Oh, it's a little ghosty. A little cute ghosty boy. It looks like a fucking Pokemon. Yeah, it was very cute. They had a, they had a little plushie of him sitting there. Oh, oh there, there's Open Mike Eagle in the trailer. For that. Oh my god, it is him. What the fuck? Yeah, he just did that game. Let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wrote down. I don't think I wrote much else down. Stuff Probably so much that it's hard to keep track of. I played a lot of very smaller games uh, that I wasn't the most interested in, but they were okay, and it was just cool to talk to some developers. It's probably cool to just experience as much as you can. Like, I mean, I, it, it would be a cool experience, too, to go to the Sony thing and play Days Gone, but, like... Oh, no, there is one thing that... There's a couple things that I played that I didn't get to talk about. Sure. Uh, Yacht Club Games had a booth at PAX. Shovel Knight I played, guys? Yeah, yeah. I played right. their new game, Cyber Shadow. Their new game? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, new game the Yacht Club's making called Cyber Shadow. It's a... Uh, it is very much like Ninja Gaiden. Okay. Uh, it's really fucking cool. It, it's level... Just like Ninja Gaiden, it's level-based. You go in, you do ninja shit. And you're, you're throwing kunai, and you're slicing shit, and, and doing platforming through these levels. And it's very, very well made. I like, I think, uh... Anybody who likes Ninja Gaiden or those kind of games will like it a lot. I think it also has some some Mega Man elements where you get like upgrades and power ups and stuff. I don't. Just like the Ninja Gaiden didn't have. I'm not a big Ninja Gaiden man, but I'm also not as much of a masochist when it comes to being killed by games. Yeah, it was Sekiro's not the game for me. I say make all games easy so I can play them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Give everything a slider. <laughs> And if, if you want to talk about that debate real quick, I think the I think the overall end solution is I could, if I it's guess. a thing in a video game, put a slider on it. Zero to one hundred. I kind of disagree, but I don't hard disagree. I did just make fun of it and say make everything easy for Genhart. But right. like my thing is this: uh, there are certain games that I have played that have been really hard, but it's memorable. Because of that, and I felt like I actually fucking really accomplished something. You could still have that experience. I guess you could, but I don't really see how you could dumb down the FromSoft formula. Uh, make your health bar bigger, make their health bar smaller. I guess. That's it. I just don't think... That, that's about all you could do. They're not going to want to do that. No, I don't think they're going to And I don't think they should be forced to do that either. It should not be a standard if they don't want to. Because at the end of the day, we're not talking about something serious like just being able to play the game. We're talking about difficulty. You can play the game, and you could practice, and you could get good at it at at any point. (laughs) I don't want to. At all, because I don't have that kind of level of patience. But it's possible. That's what those games require, by the way, is a lot of patience. I know. And I've went through shit like that in games before. I've beat hard games. I've beat, like, I don't know, uh, let's just, uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. That game is very hard. That game's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I love it, but there are so many parts in that game where you'll be stuck on it for, like, hours on end. To the point where you're like, this is fucking impossible. But I did it. Because eventually I got good at it and did it. And that experience in and of itself is an interesting one. It's not my favorite experience, but some people like that. Some people like hard games. I think they should definitely have the option to have it be hard. 
and and a lot of games certainly should have an easy mode. Games that are more about story should certainly have one. FromSoft games aren't necessarily about the story. The story is kind of built for you from the gameplay. And the reason you think that everything in that world is hardcore and tough is because it is and it beats your ass constantly. Oh, yeah. That's just how those games are, and I expect them to be that, and that's fine. It's not for me. And that's okay. It's okay that it's not for me. Because there's a billion games out there that I can play right now. And mm-hmm. I have a bunch of them on my PS4, and I've neglected playing them. Because Hell I keep yeah. buying other fucking games. There's so many games that I'm not done with the games I'm on because I started other games. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not really a big deal that I can't play one of them. Right. And just to put a little bow on this PAX thing, uh, the, the last game that I played that I've written down was uh, Shovel Knight Showdown. There's uh, a new Shovel Knight game? It's not a new game. It's part of the Treasure Trove still. There's oh, also okay. one more DLC that's coming out for it, but this is like a mini fighting game. Yeah, I thought the last thing. thing happening was King Knight or whatever. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's called King's... I forget what it's called. King something. But, uh, yeah, it's a King King's thing. Quest. That's that's the King Knight thing. That was also playable there, and I didn't get to play it, but I played Shovel Knight Showdown oh. with just, like, three other random people that were at PAX. Uh... Okay, so does it use the actual engine and yeah, yeah, mechanics yeah. of Shovel Knight? It completely okay. works, and engine has the same mechanics as Shovel Knight, and all the players in the, all the playable characters in the game play like they do in their respective DLCs. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Oh, I think it's cool, but I just don't think Shovel Knight is properly equipped Sorry, for that kind of game. I it's, think it's just like a little experiment right. kind of thing. That's the thing is, it's free with the treasure trove, so it's not like a oh, big well, deal. And fuck it, that's fine. Right. So it's just like a neat little thing. It's fun to. It's probably fun to play for a little bit with your friends, but like, sure, it's nothing like too compelling. It might be funner once you uh play it with your brother or something. Right. When I play with people that I know. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm gonna quick run through some some of the cool things I saw. One of the coolest things that was going on there was the uh, the free to play game Brawlhalla. It's sort of like a yeah. Smash clone. They had a booth there where uh, you could play against one of the developers, and they gave you certain prizes based on how you did. If did you, you? No, I didn't get to do it. The Aww. line was exponentially long the whole time. I'd rather go play games. That's fair. Like, I There's only Brawlhalla. so much time. Right. I can I could play Brawlhalla right now if I wanted to, but I didn't have the chance to play some of these other games that aren't. How is Brawlhalla? I don't know. It's okay. It. It's I think okay. it's really it, it, it's a, like Smash. Sure. But it has like weapons in it. I think it's like. It's very floaty. Okay. And I don't like the way it feels to play. Like, how bad is it of a Smash clone? Is it like that Kung Fu Panda game? No, it's way better than that. <laughs> it's, it's well, that's a, good. It's, it's a well-made game. It's just not for me. Okay. I understand why people like it a lot. Because it's actually it, it, it can be very fun if you like that kind of game, if you like the way it feels to play. I Give don't. it an easy mode! It's just a, it's a multiplayer game. <laughs> I just want to say people. You can only play online, actually. You can play offline against, like, friends, but then it's then it's on the internet, and that's it. It's only a versus game. That's it. Give it an easy mode. It's also free, but it also means it also has all the free-to-play bullshit, like skins and unlocking characters and all that. Like League of Legends. Oh, God. In that sense. It's like, fuck that. I hate, I hate getting a fighting game and not having the roster. Street Fighter V. Uh, <laughs> that is bad. It's like... 
Street Fighter Five is worse. Than any the only way that point. that works, and then even then, it doesn't really work, is like when you do like what Killer Instinct did, and everybody complained about that when that happened. But I tell you what, Street Fighter Five would be better if it was free. To play if it was free, and you could buy the characters you want. Right, I would agree. That's kind of what they set up to do, but it was a sixty dollars game. Yeah, that's my issue. <laughs> yeah, Killer Instinct did that way better. If Killer Instinct was sixty dollars, everyone would complain about that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Killer Instinct did a good job with that, and Street Fighter Five should have done the same thing. Uh, I don't know. I met I, I met some cool people from the internet. Yeah. Hello, other internet people. Uh, after I played that Treasury and Beat Down City thing, I ran into Jeff Gersman from Giant Bomb. Oh shit! That was really cool. He also really liked the game. <laughs> um, I ran into Brian Altano from IGN. Shoutouts to him. He's Damn. a really cool dude. Um, I also ran into uh, popular Smash commentator D One. <laughs> you just fucking name dropping all over here. Yeah, I don't know, same thing. Cool, I met them. Thanks, guys. You're never going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> no. No, they're not. <laughs> and then, uh, I, think, I think that's it. Okay. It was really cool. I had a great time there. Uh, I had Shake Shack for the first time. Shake Shack? Yeah. Is it like Is it like, like a shack with shakes in it? it? It's a it's a, one of those big burger places that people like to debate what's the best burger place. Okay. Low, it's a chain that low we don't on the have list. Yeah. where we are? Low on the fucking list. Not good. Not that good. Oh. Not that good. You get this tiny I, ass little... I hate when that happens. $25 get this little tiny ass baby bitch burger that's not that good. It's okay. The fries are just like regular ass crinkle cut fries. It tasted like they just came out of the oven at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that happens. I think we're just like so used to the fast food places that we have that we're like, those are good. Or at least moderately so. Then, like, we encounter, like, I don't know. Like, in my opinion, Sonic sucks. And I don't like Sonic. Right. Uh, but every time I see one, I'm like, there's something about it. Because it, there isn't one around here. So it's like, ooh. I, can go to I gotta Sonic. go to Sonic. Because I don't always get to do that. And then I'm always disappointed. Because it's like, oh, that's right. This place has hot dogs. <laughs> and that's, like, what they have. There's way better food to Boston to get than ice cream Shake Shack. There's some breweries I went to that had some excellent food. Okay. Uh, but Shake Shack, low on the list. Five Guys, way better. Anybody has this burger debate, y'all are dumb. Five you Guys think, is fucking lit. Oh you think God. Shake Shack is better than Five Guys? You're fucking dumb. Five Guys gives you peanuts. Also have really good burger. Yeah, but like peanuts. <laughs> and like really big burger for cheaper than I paid for tiny burger at Shake Shack. Five Guys can get expensive. But at least you know what you're getting. I paid $20 for lunch. No, that's annoying. At Shake Shack. It was a burger, fries, and a drink. More like Shake Shit. Ah. Now, that could be because I was in the heart of Boston right. where I bought it. But, like, no. Did you have any of them Boston delicacies, like clam chowder? No. Okay, good. I did go to a brewery that had the best fucking soft pretzel I've ever had in my life, though. <laughs> So that was lit. A soft pretzel. That's cool. Yeah, like, well, you know, like the, the baked-ass soft pretzels. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. rip apart and dip and shit. Those are the good. Oh, I got it with beer cheese, and I dipped it in beer oh cheese. My God, oh, my God, fuck you fuck. for even talking oh, about this to me. fuck yeah, dude. I'm so mad It's now. the best fucking pretzel beer I've ever had. Beer cheese is the best thing ever created, and it makes me mad oh, yeah, that dude, I don't so have good. it right now in lot front of, of me. A lot of good beer in Boston, too. I also went to a place called Milk Bar. Which is really cool. What is that? Milk Bar is a pastry slash ice cream place. Okay. But their their most popular item is uh, something called cereal milk soft serve ice cream. And it, it tastes like uh, milk that had cereal in it. 
Oh, fucking dope. Okay. Yeah, but then you put, like, cereal on top of it. Oh, my God. So I have it with Fruity Pebbles on top. And Hell oh, yeah. my God. Was it fucking good. It was really expensive for a tiny-ass cup. So you abandoned your diet while you went here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're on, dude, let me tell you what. Doing, doing any kind of diet, you're on vacation, it is super hard. You can't hard. do that. Everybody's going to want to go eat. Right. At some place that you can't eat at because you can't eat fucking anywhere when you're on a diet. Right, you just eat at home mostly. Yeah, stay home and eat slices of bread. If that. Right. <laughs> I just tried so, to come up with something that was yeah, depressing no. sounding. Uh, I got you. But, uh... <laughs> No, you, plus you want to you want to try things you can't try at home when you're on vacation. Yes. So like diet be damned. I wanted some fucking milk bar. I always want to do that, and then I just eat a chicken parm sandwich, and I'm like, well, <laughs> here we are. I could eat this at home, <laughs> but it, it's a pretty good chicken parm sandwich because every chicken parm sandwich you is go good. To New York City. Where's the Arby's? <laughs> <laughs> I came to New York City to go to Burger King. Specifically, oh, dude, there there are people that go to like fucking McDonald's and shit at these kind of places, and like, why? Go to somewhere nice. Uh, like, go to. I, like, I regret. Uh, I don't even know if it's still there at Niagara Falls. Uh, the tourist trap, like strip of just like crap. Yeah, that they have down there. They have a uh, a a haunted house called like House of Frankenstein or some shit. And right next to it is a Burger King, and this Burger King has a giant Frankenstein holding a burger outside oh of it God. and like i kind of forever regret not going there because <laughs> like <laughs> I, it's just burger king i think that was the argument that my mom made when we went she was like well it's just burger king we're not going there we're not eating at burger king we get a burger king at home and i'm like this one has frankenstein at it, <laughs> holding a burger that's all it is though can't hurt probably yeah it's probably just a normal fucking <laughs> so it's like burger mediocre king. food for pretty cheap yeah and then that's that's about all Burger King is. Burger King is the most mediocre of foods that you can ever get. I also went to a different uh, brewery because there's breweries all over Boston. I went to a different brewery where I had a very sense. delicious uh, flatbread pizza. It was uh, buffalo chicken, very good. Oh my god! But the uh, so I had the podcast canceled. I'm gonna go eat food. Right. Okay. No, I'm getting hungry now too. <laughs> But, Shut uh, the fuck up, Justin. Well, they had your traditional like buffalo thing where you had you know the chicken and the buffalo sauce and the ranch, right? Mm-hmm. But the chicken was tossed in sriracha sauce. Jesus Christ, man! It was so fucking good. That diarrhea had to be insane. Oh, I shit. For a- <laughs> the the morning after, I I shit alright. Buffalo is already like just you know what you're getting into. You might as well just you know live with it. Add sriracha to that. I was staying in a, a one-bedroom hotel with my friend, and I was like, "I like the after we ate it, went back to the hotel. I looked at him. I was like, prepare yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> this toilet's gonna get fucking destroyed in the morning, and it fucking did. It was so worth it. What a good pizza! I was had plenty of good beer. Boston's a great city. Uh, there's so much to do there. I went to this really cool... It's something I really want to talk about real quick. It's the last thing I'll talk about. Sure. I'm going long. We're very long. This is going to be a long episode. We got a lot to talk about. Right. I went to this grilled cheese place called Roxy's. It's, uh, in, like, downtown Cambridge, right, near the university. Okay. Um, and I had, I got a grilled cheese there with, with some, with some truffle fries, which were very good. Well, that would make sense, yeah. Right. (laughs) Very good, very good food, right? And it said they had an arcade in the back. And I was like, oh, we should go to the arcade. And then this little door has a little sign pointing it to it that says arcade. I'm like, all right, time to go to arcade. And then this guy, before we walk back there, checks our IDs. And I'm like, okay. And he gives me a wristband. I'm like, okay, why? Whatever. 
So you have an employees only door. You walk into this back room. There's an employees only door, and there's a freezer door. Employees only door. Yeah, it's freezer a door says door. employee. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like just a door to like a, a meat freezer, and you're like, well, I can't possibly walk back here, can I? But this dude led me back into this room. I don't know what to do. Well, I'm not gonna open the door that says employees only because that's a big no-no. So I open the freezer door, and no fucking joke, it is a full-blown ass fucking barcade. Oh. In the back of this tiny ass. Grilled, grilled cheese, cheese shop. place. Yeah. Wow. The they had so many fucking machines there. It had two bars. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's crazy. And then so I I got I got a I got a beer. I bought some tokens at the bar. They give you a cup of tokens, and I went around and played some games and drank for a while. Hell yeah! It dude. was fucking awesome. It was like bespoke looking ass shit. <laughs> it was so interesting. It's cool. I also stopped at this little record store. Just flipped around for a little bit. It was neat. Did you get anything? Old. No, I didn't want to buy. I don't want to take any records on, with me on a plane. That makes sense. Because they could. They could I forgot you went on get, a plane. Yeah, they could very easily get fucked up on a plane. Unless it's actually not that far from us, but I guess driving there would suck. Uh, it's only an hour and a half flight. Damn. But uh, drives like eight hours. That's not so. even enough time to realize that you're on a plane. Oh, it is. <laughs> okay, but like I've been on a longer flight and it was. I don't. I don't like to ear poppy, man. Uh, ear poppy sucks. That's, the worst That's thing you get ever. headphones. It makes it less bad. Yeah. Definitely. Put some headphones in, start listening to something. I was I was watching March Madness on the plane while oh, playing okay. my Switch. That was fine. Hmm. But that was my pack strip. It was really cool. I had a great time. I'm planning on going again next year, playing some more games. Shout cool. out to everybody that I talked to, all the developers who are making those games that I mentioned. You all probably do a great job, and those games should come out very well. I'm very excited for all of them. Except for that one that he didn't like. Take that, bitch. What, Shovel Knight Showdown? I don't know. I was just... <laughs> there was a couple you didn't mention, you said. Well, it's not that I didn't like them. It's that they just weren't just, very they memorable. They sucked ass, and you hope the developers die. Fuck them. They didn't, em. Oh. didn't stand out to me. That's all. Okay, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Glad you had fun. I would love to go at some point, but I get tired walking to my car. Well, I was averaging like, like twenty five <laughs> to thirty thousand steps a day there. Yeah, yeah. It's the equivalent to like four or five miles. Yeah, that shit sucks. Of walking, <laughs> it, it is nothing but walking. Yeah, I made sure I got brand new inserts for my feet because my feet are all fucked up, and that helped for your tremendously. feet. Your little shoe inserts. Well, for your shoes. I don't know but what you inserted my, into your feet. Nothing into my feet, but I inserts for uh, my feet in my shoes. <laughs> but they're for my feet. Insert. <laughs> Well, because they're for my feet because they have they make an artificial arch, which I don't have in my feet. Right. All right. So I can walk. Like anyway, speaking of diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Here I we really go. wanted to say that. Time to go anyway, to sleep. Go I know ahead. it's been like five minutes since you talked about diarrhea, but I wanted to say that. You go go ahead. Go ahead. Get her. Just be not sleep. allowed to sleep because I'm going to talk to you. Time to go to sleep. Sorry. Not allowed. This is important. I'm this is our on, culture. I'm grabbing my blanket. You're going to disrespect Gen's religion like this? <laughs> Is your religion the Walking Dead TV show? No. Okay. So I, uh, so I, 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 uh, I perused our old episodes because I was trying to think of the last time I talked about this show at length, and I think it was like um, nine, ten, and eleven, something like that. Maybe twelve. There's a, there's a, there's one where you made reference to somebody falling off a horse and getting impaled. Yeah. Uh, but not Rick Grimes. You named it something else. I forget. Damn it, now I want to know. It's so long ago. It is a long time ago, but Spotify exists and it's on my phone, so I can look at it. That is a possibility. 
All right, so it was uh, it was Blizzard Entertainment falls off a horse and gets impaled. Oh, okay, yeah, I there think we go. because of the Diablo incident. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, this was episodes uh, nine, ten, and eleven. I think I talked about it because I, I ranked the entire series, if you remember, uh, with in half seasons because we don't go for that bullshit where your season is cut in half and it's still one season. Ugh. Fuck you. Eight episode seasons. Shut up, AMC stupid assholes. So look, I am going to complain a lot here, but I do want to point something out, and that's where this one falls in the ranking. It's in the top ten, this batch of eight episodes. I want to preface this by saying this show is not bad now. It has a new showrunner, Scott Ghost Rider 2 Gimple, hey. is uh, moving on to uh, bigger and better things, uh, but still things involving The Walking Dead. Uh, he's making them Rick movies and shit, oh, but fuck. he's still like the general overseer, but he doesn't have as much creative input, which is a good thing for this show, and it's incredibly apparent because the writing is just, in general, better. Well, that's good. Now, there's still a lot of problems. This feels more like a transitional season where the damage was already done and there's not a quick fix that makes it all better in a snap like that, maybe season 10 will be better now that they've kind of done what they had to do to transition the series into what it's going to be going forward. But I don't know, because it's not all just one person. It's not just Scott Gimple that The Walking Dead got bad. It's it's it's, it's everyone. <laughs> it's everyone collectively. But uh, it lands in the top 10. It's uh, number 9 out of 10. I'm not going to go through the whole list again, but uh, I guess I'll talk about what I like about it first. What I liked about it is they adapt the uh, the Whisperers plotline, which you know from the comics. Uh, the Whisperers are cool bad guys, and they're done appropriately creepy here. They actually successfully make them seem really creepy and really imposing. What? Uh, Alpha and Beta both get a good chunk of screen time and a good chunk of development more so for alpha, which makes sense. Well, yeah. Uh, and this is something they can actually improve upon from the comic because the comic kind of eventually when they finally had the big war with the whisperers, uh, spoilers for everything, by the way, I don't really care. This is my time. <laughs> uh, it kind of just petered out. And circumstances led the big bad guy to be killed. And instead we have just smaller beta. Alpha's still alive at the end of the season. I hope they do what they did in the comics, which is Negan goes and kills Alpha. And it's the best fucking shit ever. God, I hope so. Uh, Negan is a positive. Negan spends the entire season in jail, basically. In the first eight, he uh, didn't even leave his cell. Until the very end. Uh, his arc is really good. It's very brief. He's very much a secondary plot and secondary character to this show. This eight episodes. But his main story is he gets out and he eventually he just immediately goes back to the sanctuary. And thinks about reclaiming what he once had. But what he once had is completely gone. And he can't reclaim that. And he just goes back to Alexandria. And then just because 
there's nothing for him now, and he can't live on his own because there's just no way for him to do it. The right. world sucks, and you need help. So he would rather live in a cell than just go die. And there's lots of good development with him. The last thing that he did in the most recent, the finale episode, was uh, they did a episode, that, the best episode of the entire season, where a blizzard hit, and they haven't dealt with snow ever in the show, and I think they've only dealt with it briefly in the comic, but uh, it was a good, different change of pace episode where there was a big blizzard, big, big snowstorm. Yeah, the only time to deal with snow in the comics was like right before the, the prison started. Yeah, even before the farm, I think. That's when yeah. they first met Tyrese. Um, frozen zombies, zombies popping out of the snow, all kinds of good shit. Daryl kills a zombie with an icicle. I don't know if that would work. I mean, yeah. yeah whatever, fuck shit. it. Uh, it was all fun. It was fun visuals. and uh, But but the Negan part of it was uh, they have to... They're, all their powers going out in Alexandria, and they have to huddle it together in one house that is a working fireplace. So they have to move everybody there, including Negan. And uh, Judith is taking care of Daryl's dog at the time, and the dog ran away, and she can't find him, and there's a blizzard, and she's afraid he's going to die. And then she hears him while they're moving from houses to houses. Uh, in this blizzard, and she runs off. And Negan runs after her and saves her and brings her back. Thereby proving he good now, <laughs> I guess. But um, it's done in a very natural way, and his character development doesn't seem out of nowhere. It seems like we have met a man who's defeated and changed because of that. And that's the, that's the Negan characterization I live for, and... That really made me, like, fall in love with this character in the comic. Right. Uh, I loved him the entire time, but, like, there was still that thing in the back of my head where, like, he bashed Glenn's head in with a bat, and that sucks ass, because Glenn was great. What an evil bastard. But you get the sprinkles of the development in where he's going to become something greater, which is good. The Vegeta character development, if you will. Yeah, right. (laughs) The patented Vegeta method trademark now let me let me get into like what my major problem is with uh the way that they have adapted this storyline and 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 the major problem that this had and what it's going to have going forward everybody's fucking dead (laughs) or if they're not dead they got airlifted into movies however that works the main characters of the walking dead are rick and carl and in perusing our old episodes, you made a point that one of the only cool things about Rick potentially dying when we thought he was dead when he fell and it got impaled is that The Walking Dead's supposed to be a universe where anyone can die at any point. And that's kind of neat because you wouldn't expect the main character to die. But now the rules have kind of been altered because they're willing to get rid of people. As they have to. And it, it creates a very... Kind of more depressing world than even the one in the comics. If you remember when the time gap happened in the comics. And we went from the Negan War arc to the Whisperer War arc. There was a brief... There was a good span where everyone was kind of chill and happy. If for a brief moment. Yeah. But like you could tell that like through winning a war our characters indeed won something greater and have had much success because of it. You don't really get that here. Everyone is miserable the whole time. They set up this 
fucking tension between Michonne, who is leading Alexandria, and the other communities because she goes through a traumatic experience where she's duped by a former friend of hers who shows up and they kidnap her and Daryl and they brand them and fucking are going to kill them and torture them and they're going to and they they're using kids to do it. They kind of have like child soldiers if you will. And child uh soldiers. <laughs> Colonel <laughs> Snake, those are child soldiers. Don't kill them. Just hit them with your rocket gun. <laughs> but anyway, um it's kind of just an artificial situation to set up. It felt really artificial. A lot of people praise this episode, and and it it does work at being fucked up. But like, it felt just artificial to give unnecessary character not development but regression for Michonne, uh, because it made Michonne really dark and depressed, not wanting to work with everybody. M- Michonne is is put in a situation where she has to kill children, or let Judith get murdered. And she decides to kill children. And that's fucked up, but ultimately all this does for the character is make her really dark and depressed and not willing to work with anyone except her community. She's not going to talk or work with the kingdom or the hilltop now. And then six years pass, and we have a very cold and distant Michonne. But they don't tell us that until way later, so we just kind of assume that she's just mad that Rick died. And that makes her character annoying. Until they reveal this. And then it just means that... They reveal it around the same time that she learns that like... Oh, I was wrong to do that. All of the sudden. Thanks, Judith, for telling me I was wrong to do that. Oh, God. Thanks. Six years. (laughs) And then they finally start working together again. All the communities. Just in time for Alpha to be able to infiltrate and kill a bunch of them. Because not even everybody knows each other enough to notice that happening. Get it? That's why they added that plot point. Uh, To explain something that didn't need explained. (laughs) I'm okay with Alpha being able to infiltrate the ranks and kill a bunch of people sight unseen. That's just good villain. You you don't have to fucking explain that to me. Don't worry about it. Um, Now, if if you are a fan of the comic and you've given up on the show, uh, like I should have, you may be thinking to yourself, well... Carl's dead, so how do they do the Whisperer storyline at all? Because a big part of that is Carl dating the Alpha's daughter, Lydia, and falling in love with her and shit. Uh, They give this entire plotline to a newer character who was introduced in, like, Season 7 named Henry, who has basically become Ezekiel and Carol's de facto son. I don't know if I'm using the word de facto right, but whatever. Uh, they give all that plot line to him and I, it doesn't really work that well. Uh, the kid's a good actor and it's, but he, he just kind of doesn't see, like if it was Carl, we could excuse a lot of it because we've been with this character a long time and it feels more important, but as it feels on the show, we're getting a lot of character development for someone who's a side character up until this point. You know what that means on this show? They're going to die. Right. This is always And he does. Uh, right. Let's get into the major deaths of this season. The heads on the wall. Well, on the spikes. The border crossing. 
iconic moment from the comics. In the comics, they killed Ezekiel and Rosita. Here, those characters are alive and well and get to live in the next season, which is the only part of this that I feel is really interesting because I think Ezekiel's a great character worthy of exploration. Uh, and Rosita exists. I, I, <laughs> they could have killed Rosita. I would have been fine. Right. Uh, but killing off Ezekiel felt premature in the comics. Shocking and effective, yes, but premature because I felt like he could do more and it have more character to him. And here, we might have an opportunity to do that. Uh, we have a, a, we have in the Blizzard episode, he loses the kingdom, uh, and they have to move to the hilltop because the winter storm makes it so that they just can't live at the kingdom anymore because it kills the heat, uh, and they have to go live somewhere that will work and sustain them. Uh, and that sucks for him because he, he's a king that lost his kingdom and all that, and... Uh, That'll be interesting going forward. And he uh, and Carol kind of splits with him because their son just died. Spoiler. He's one of the heads on the spikes. Henry. Oops. Oops. Uh, the other two characters they kill are ones that I feel like they killed on purpose to get rid of the dead weight. Uh, Tara, who's been with the show since season four. And uh, Enid, who's been with the show since season five. Tara, I feel like they didn't really know what to do with for a while. She's been part of the group and she's done things but they put her in charge of the hilltop because jesus died last season and maggie is off being in another show and maybe not being dead and maybe being alive and maybe coming back later but who the fuck knows uh <laughs> they put her in charge of the hilltop and it did and at no point did it feel right or permanent i didn't think they were gonna kill her but they haven't been really giving her anything interesting to do as of late. The last big episode she had was in season seven where she was off on her own and it, it wasn't a very good episode. So I'm okay with them killing her because it felt like her character wasn't growing or really going anywhere. And, and same with Enid, they started giving her more new shit to do this season where, you know, with Carl dead, that relationship isn't going to happen. Cause she's like replacement Sophia. Uh, so they, they pair her with uh, someone else, and it was weird because the time gap is like six years because I thought of Enid as like 14, and now she's all of a sudden dating like a 20-year-old or something man, and it, it just never really fit well with my head, with the timeline, and it just like, I, I was like, how old is this person? I don't know. It just felt really strange to me, uh, and, and forced because... When you have a time gap and then all of a sudden two characters are in a relationship, you had no time to see that relationship uh, happen. So you just kind of have to take the word for it that these people have chemistry and are good together and then they don't show you any of that at all. And it just feels fake and bad. Uh, they do that with Gabriel and Rosita in this. They're together. Oh? Yeah. But then Eugene wants to fuck her too because that's... Oh, of course. That's of course. And then... Sadiq fucked her at some point and she's having the kid which was a plot line that they didn't really explore uh in the comic because Rosita died so that'll be interesting going forward <laughs> I guess hopefully they can get some amusement out of it the only thing I liked about it was Negan making fun of all of them he was like this love quadrangle is hilarious it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because <laughs> he was just laughing so much about it uh Negan's the stand-in for the audience in that scene. Anyway, I've been rambling about The Walking Dead for a while, but I think my major point I want to put forth here is this. In the comic, 
everyone got to have a breather after a big war. And then when this fucked up shit started happening again, it was threatening to ruin and throw a wrench in the gears of something they had that was just as close to perfect. Here it feels like it's more of the same and it's just more problems that they have to deal with. It doesn't feel as big or significant. It is way well, way more well written than the Gimple shit, but tonally, and I think without major players like Rick and Carl, it just feels all a little off. And I feel like that's just going to continue into season 10. Oh yeah, for sure. Daryl can't lead the show. Michonne is leaving next season, by the way. This is confirmed. Uh, she will probably have a similar exit as Rick with a five-episode stint, and then she's gone. I don't know how they're going to really frame that with an upcoming Whisperer War. I don't really think she'd abandon her community, but I also don't think they're going to kill her because I think they're going to have her reunite with Rick in some way. If they do kill her, that's depressing because then it's like Rick has nothing to come back to. If he does. Right. But I also don't know what they're doing with that anyway. It's almost like they should have just killed Rick. Maybe they should have just killed Rick. Or just not killed Rick. Yeah, but like if he wants to leave the show, maybe they should have just killed Rick. That would have been fine. They don't have to do this fucking horseshit fucking movie. God damn it. It's so bad. It's so stupid. Just let it die. <laughs> I Daryl had a lot of good character development this season and actually was pretty good. They had introduced a lot of new characters that I liked. Uh, Magna's group who in the comics had very little development, but here actually get to shine and have a personality. Uh, one of them is deaf, and that was actually shown in a television show rather well. Uh, it wasn't just like subtitles and sign language. It was like she writes notes and shows them to Daryl, and we just kind of have to like, you know, she was really well acted as well. Actual deaf person too. Um, which was interesting, something different for the show. But ultimately, yeah, just like they killed so many people off this season and the last eight episodes that we have to focus in on people who I just don't think are as interesting as the big major dynamics like Rick and Carl. Daryl is not that he does badass things, but he's not that interesting as a character. He's not interesting enough to carry the whole show. Michonne's a good character, but they almost semi tried to ruin her and that kind of redeemed her, but did it in a weird backwards character development way. And now she's going to leave. Maggie might come back, but might not. So you got you got Daryl and Carol is basically what you got going forward. Is what I'm looking at here. That's not a show. <laughs> you got to add a lot more to this to have it really work. And I don't know if you can. I don't know what you do. I was kind of incredibly off board with The Walking Dead after the whole Rick Grimes thing happened. I was kind of waiting when you the were off thing before happened. that. Yeah, but like, like not even caring about it. Or like before, I was still asking you what was going on in it, and uh, then I completely fell off the point of caring. Like, I got close to that when Carl died. I definitely jumped off when Rick was gone, and the reason why is because I think they are the centerpiece of The Walking Dead. Even in the show, they were, and it's. I so... do feel like they could die, but both of them. It's kind of a little much. Right. I if, think it, if they did this thing with Rick and then Carl was still around, I feel like the show would be a little more interesting. Right. Or vice versa, even. But that would still be less interesting. Rick without Carl was really uninteresting to me. I was like, ah. Because he turned into a rage monster as well. That was the worst part of it. So mad that my son's dead, I'm going to shoot people indiscriminately. <laughs> like, right. Like, come on. Ugh. Dumb. 
No, I always thought Walking Dead would be really interesting if you had a, a scenario where, you know, obviously you would hope that the son outlives the father, but you know what what happens with Carl after his father passes away and he has to carry the torch, like. That's what, something what that happened? I could see being something that's really interesting in the comics. I don't think they're going to do it for a long time. No. But I could be wrong. I don't know. They're approaching that 200th issue, and that's worrisome when you know what happened the last time they had 100 in the title of an issue. Ugh. Oh, man. Negan 2, Electric Boogaloo. Let's go. Gonna gonna smash somebody's head. Somebody gonna die. This, well, for, this for sure. Also, like, the Walking Dead comic is so effective because it has, like, these... Like, the crazy shit doesn't happen often at all, especially, like, once you got to Alexandria. It was, like, very few and far between. But you had these strong, developed characters that you you were invested in their, in all of their relationships and stuff, so you watching all that played out was entertaining. Yeah. Where with the show, there's so much in flux with it that it's hard to, like, There's characters that up. have these, like, very dominant but brief arcs. Right. Like, they'll focus, like, really, really, really hard on, like, Beth, and then she'll die three episodes after they start focusing really hard on her character. And that shit's frustrating to watch because it feels just, like, cyclical. Right. And irrelevant when your your big major characters aren't the ones always getting the spotlight. Like, they gave so much time to Henry, developing Henry this season, only for him to die. And, like, that feels like manipulating your emotions as opposed to, like, really having a good twist. You know what I mean? Right. Like, when you kill, like, like I don't know, Game of Thrones spoiler here. When you kill Ned Stark, that's a huge twist. But I don't think it's an emotionally manipulative one. Because his death sets forth so many fucking things in that show. Basically that the entirety of it. Yeah. Really, it sets the whole show off. All the, a lot of the major deaths in Early Thrones uh, work that way. The Red Wedding is such a fucking great example of that. It's an, yeah, it's an event that like affected everything. Yeah. And you don't want to have something affect, like, you know... I'm not saying that Henry's death doesn't affect these characters, but, like, ultimately, I, I, I'm just wondering whether it's gonna really pay off or not. Because we spent so little time with that character. Hell, if they waited on killing Carl until that point, that would have been, like, a fucking crazy fucking time to do that. And I actually would have felt like that would have been, like, maybe a more fitting, crazy way to end his character. Because it would have been a shock, and then Carl dying could actually spearhead them to get revenge on the Whisperers more than, say, this no-name character, who you probably forgot existed <laughs> until this season came along. What can you do? Stop watching it. I am interested in how they handle Lydia, because uh, that character's entire existence is kind of predicated on being in a relationship with Carl, and now she doesn't have that either. So, what the fuck? <laughs> what do they do with that character? Oh, who knows? Probably kill her. <sighs> Negan better kill Alpha next season. It'll be the dopest shit. Jeffrey Dean Morgan continues to be one of the great things about this show. Wait, he, he does a great job portraying Negan. Mm. Anyway, I will not talk about The Walking Dead ever again. Oh, thank fuck Just God. kidding. Oh, maybe next I year. will eventually. Uh, we'll wait till Fear comes back. Uh, a show that tried to redeem itself and then kind of failed, but then kind of was like, eh, I, mm, I don't know. Mm, 
it's like a completely different show now, but it's not bad. We'll see how that goes. They're adding Dwight with his scarred face. <laughs> Great. Yay. Now, I'm going to talk about other things that are stupid. Like, Are you excited, like Jusby? fucking Alien vs. Predator? No, but yeah, but wait a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, your other thing. Go ahead. New segment. Genhart reads bad comics for your enjoyment or not. Let's find out if you will. So, I'm reading all of the DC crossovers with Alien and Predator. Something that won't ever happen again because now Fox is owned by Disney, who own Marvel. You'll probably see Deadpool versus Predator, but you'll never see Batman or Superman go toe to toe with him ever again. And sometimes when I'm reading these, I'm like, that might be for the best. <laughs> it might be for the best that they don't make Batman versus Predator 4. Maybe that's good. But, uh, we start off with, uh, the first crossover between Predator and anything. I think this even predates Alien versus Predator. Uh, actually. Or no, no, it doesn't. I think. I don't know. Uh, Batman vs. Predator, which comes out in, uh, 1992, uh, the year after Predator 2 comes out. And something interesting to note about this, Predator 2 introduced a lot of new, like, weapons and shit, like the net that starts to melt through the guy that he throws it on, and that staff and all kinds of stuff. This has all of those in it. However, the dates suggest that they were probably writing this around the same time. So who came up with it? Batman vs. Predator or Predator 2? Was it both in conjunction? I don't know. Jusby, I want you to predict how Batman vs. Predator is before I talk about it. How is it, Jusby? Uh... You're incorrect. Uh... I'm actually really happy to say that Batman vs. Predator is actually really good and you should read it. What? Now... That will stop immediately <laughs> as soon as you get to the second well, one. Well, you actually like it? It's like it's actually Batman vs. Predator is lit. What? I actually really liked it, yeah. Now, there is a sequel that I'll talk about in a bit. That was terrible. That was fucking terrible. Avoided at all costs. Ah! <laughs> but if you like Batman, if you like Predator... And you think, that sounds like it would be bad. I encourage you to give this a shot and let me know what you think of after it. Uh, it's probably the best they could have possibly did given the circumstances. Because, yeah, it's a dumb idea, but, like, whatever. It could work. Batman's really good at fight. <laughs> Predator really good at fight. Maybe it'll fight. be good fight. <laughs> it progresses much like you would expect. Uh, the Predator shows up in Gotham and starts taking out people in power in Gotham. And for Gotham, this means mobster fuckboys. Right. Uh, this, there's two major mob families that are kind of at war with each other, or maybe just like a cold war. And they hate each other, and uh, when the story begins, they're... Uh, having like fixed boxing matches and things and there's some kind of disagreement uh amongst the two mafia bosses about who was supposed to who was supposed to win and who was supposed to take the fall like they each have a boxer in the stakes and uh then 
when the winning boxer goes home, he gets murdered by the Predator. Uh, the Predator targets a boxer because the Predator somehow understands that this man is a fighter and therefore someone that he like has the go-ahead to hunt because like, he's a fighter, uh, which is kind of an interesting concept to me. Because, like, usually you kind of expect the Predator to go after people with, like, guns or that are, like, really obvious for him to go after and fight. Right. People that antagonize him. This guy wasn't really antagonizing him, but he's someone that he saw win a boxing match. So maybe it's more just, like, primal instincts that the Predator just, like, knows who are, like, people worthy of his fucking time in fighting. That's kind of an interesting idea to me. Something that interested me in this comic... Uh, which, damn, I didn't even say who wrote it. That's interesting to me. This comic's written by Dave Gibbons. Uh, if that name is familiar to you, it's probably not as an author. It's probably as an illustrator. Uh, Dave Gibbons is a great, great, great comic artist. He drew Watchmen. That's the most famous thing he's ever did. I never knew that he wrote anything. But he wrote this. I don't know how they got the Watchmen artist to write Batman versus Predator. I don't know how that really happens, but he does an okay job. What really works about this is they don't really get too confused with the continuity or anything. Like, this is a Batman that can exist at any point. If you know enough about Batman, just you know that there's Batman, there's Commissioner Gordon, there's Alfred, there's Crime in Gotham. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else. It could exist at, like, any point in Batman's career. You, you don't need to have a lot of comic knowledge. You could have just watched The Dark Knight. You, you're fine. And that's kind of what I like about it because it helps it be timeless in that regard. Same with The Predator. You don't need to know a lot of the continuity about The Predator. You just maybe just have an idea of what it is and what it does. The dialogue of how The Predator speaks in this is interesting because it, it all The Predator can do is repeat things. So they use that to their advantage where like The Predator chooses relevant things to repeat that have to coincidentally do with what is happening in a very comic booky way where like dialogue has to do with something, but it's coincidental. Like the predator will say like, you know, last fight in the ring or something like that when it's about to fight Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that. It, it works pretty well. So the predator kills this boxer Batman arrives on the scene as he always does. He's already knee deep in investigating both of these mob families because he's Batman. He's investigating them even as Bruce Wayne, you know, pretending to be kind of on their side, at least monetarily and uh, bet wise and shit, but like really just getting information about them. And he's trying to take them down in his own way. But uh, Predator shows up. Predator starts killing them because they're, you know, his targets. And, uh, obviously the police and, and Commissioner Gordon are perplexed because, uh, the, you know, witnesses are like, I, I didn't even see the killer and stuff like that. You know, the typical predator shit. Uh, Batman is a genius and unlike protagonists from the predator movies kind of figures out what the jig is really early on, like before the end of the first issue of this, uh, three issue series. Which I think makes sense. I think Batman would figure it out quicker than anyone else. No, oh, yeah. He, His power is that he figures shit out before anyone else. He's super detective man. <laughs> yeah. So he figures out very quickly that, like, this is somebody who 
is superhuman and has cloaking ability and is only going after people who it deems worthy of a fight. It has a twisted sense of rules. Uh, Batman confronts him in their first big fight. There's only two big fights between Batman and the Predator in this. The first one, the Predator beats Batman's fucking ass and almost kills him. It's really dope. I didn't expect them to go this hard where Batman almost dies. I guess it makes sense in a story progression kind of way. You don't want him to beat the Predator right away. But it still shocked me because the amount that the Predator beats Batman's ass puts Bruce Wayne in a full body cast. He only narrowly escapes by calling the Batmobile just in time for it to zip him off to the Batcave so he can heal up. He's healing up for the entirety of issue two as the Predator just reigns chaos on Gotham. He kills the remaining mob guys. Their plot doesn't really matter. They're just targets for the Predator. They go into some things and some dialogue. Hey, the one Italian mob guy has a mom and he just listens to his mom. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Predator kills everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, it puts Gotham in a panic because... Uh, there's an invisible alien killing people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, even though this is a city where, you know, with the Joker in it and shit, everybody's like, that's fucking wild. Uh, we, the, are you going to stop this, Commissioner Gordon? And Gordon's like, I don't know. And the thing that's interesting about this is, is Gordon wants to rely on Batman, but can't contact him right now because Batman is healing up. Batman physically is not able to go retaliate against the Predator at this time because he got so fucked up the last time they fought. So Batman doesn't really have any choice but to wait. And But Gordon doesn't know that because Gordon doesn't know who the fuck Batman is. Gordon doesn't know how to reach him. Right. Other than the bat signal. And he's not showing up when he turns on the bat signal. So Gordon doesn't even know if Batman's alive or dead. So they're like, well, maybe we have to do something of our own. Got no idea what we should do. Uh, higher government people are starting to get involved. They're like, yeah, we're going to kill this thing no matter what. We're calling in the National Guard. Uh, Batman doesn't want that to happen. He wants to take on the Predator his own way because the National Guard will fuck it up. It's kind of what Batman thinks. Uh, they don't really go into that too much. Just Batman just thinks that, like, you know, They'll just start blowing up buildings and shit to try and kill this thing and just do a, do a whole lot of damage to Gotham that doesn't need to happen. Batman eventually gets better and he's ready for round two. Uh, he knows that he has to approach this uh, more carefully this time. We we know that Batman's other big power, other than just knowing everything, is prep time. Prep time is key. <laughs> so he gets uh, a very Batman v Superman or uh, well, more realistically, the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, mecha bat suit, kind of like armored bat suit to fight the Predator in. Makes sense. You need to have a, a couple more tools at your disposal to fight this fucking thing. And then he uh, goes about it. Uh, the thing, it tries to attack Gordon. Uh, it narrowly, he narrowly escapes and then Batman shows up before it can really finish the job and uh, starts fighting it. Uh, their fight is really, really great. It's drawn. This comic is drawn expertly well by uh, Andy and Adam Kubert. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're fucking great. They've drawn Batman a billion times. They they know what they're fucking doing. They know that this is the reason that anyone is even gonna fucking look at this fucking comic. 
It's Batman and Predator fighting. You might as well make that be fucking lit. And they do. Uh, The Predator uses all of its fucking tricks. Batman finds ways to get out of them. Uh, Batman knows that he doesn't want to fight the Predator just out in the open because there could be loss of life because the Predator doesn't fucking care where it shoots its fucking laser. He takes him to the Batcave, one of the only places he knows where no one will be, and fights him there. Uh, Now, despite the fact that he prepared for this, Predator is still fucking a badass. And he almost narrowly kills Batman again. (laughs) Uh, But here's where my favorite moment in the entire comic happens. Alfred shows up with a fucking gun from the 1800s and shoots the Predator. My God. Narrowly saving Batman's life. Not giving a fucking shit. <laughs> calls the, he calls the Predator a big bully. <laughs> it's a very Alfred thing to do. Uh, the thing grabs Alfred to like try and kill him, but it's dazed from it being shot by a gun from the 1800s. And uh, kind of just dismisses Alfred as crazy. Not really a someone to fight. Not really a trophy worthy of uh, collecting. It really wants to go after Batman. Once it sees Batman, it really it thinks it killed Batman the first time, I think. But once Batman comes back, it doesn't care about anything else. It doesn't care about Gordon. doesn't care about any low-ranking mob people. It just wants Batman. Because they know that that's like, that's like the big fucking guy that they need to fight, you know? Right. Their fight goes to Wayne Manor. Their fight goes outside again. And Batman eventually... Gets it to a standstill. Um, I was wondering if they're going to address Batman's no-kill stance. Interestingly enough, that issue is sidestepped. The Predator is wounded, and Batman stops fighting, and then the alien, sh- uh, the Predator ship shows up. Not, I mean, they're they're aliens, but I don't want to confuse it. Right. Uh, predator ship shows up. Some Predators come out. And this was one of my favorite bits, and it was a really interesting way to end this. Uh, they hand the Predator a sword, and the Predator, like, commits suicide. It does, like, that that Japanese thing where it, like, kills itself. Seppuku. Yes. Uh, as, like, you know, you didn't get killed by this warrior, but he beat you. Right. So, you're dead. And... Here, you die a warrior's death, you kill yourself. And they hand him the thing and he kills himself. Then they give Batman this fucking bitch-ass, old-ass sword. And they fuck off and they leave, as predators do. And Batman's like, well, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a lot of fun. I was surprised at how fun it was because... I was under the assumption, and I was proven right by... uh, I'm like four deep into these now. I'm only going to talk about two of them today, but... I've been proven right at how bad these would be because you got two very different kinds of stories being combined here. One of them's going to win out and, or, or, or it's just going to not work with either of them. This kind of plays by the rules of both Batman stories and predator stories and kind of works in a surprising way. And then they ruin it. With Batman versus Predator 2. Blood God. match. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, is it just... Is it literally just... It's again. Oh, God. But even worse. Now, one of the things I praised about that first one was no continuity. So, obviously, of course, immediately you have to add Huntress. And uh, if you don't know who Huntress is, that's because you didn't read Batman comics in the 90s. And 
good. <laughs> Huntress is kind of like, I don't know. I don't even, I, I'm a huge comics fan, Jusby, and I don't really give a fuck or know anything about Huntress. She's a, she's a half-naked Batman character that fights people a Batman way in Gotham and isn't quite a Batgirl, isn't quite a Robin, isn't quite an anything, whatever she exists. So she's hunting down this mob guy that she hates and, ooh, ooh, he's a bad guy. He gives drugs to kids and she's secretly a... Sells drugs to the community. (laughs) But Batman, I sell drugs to the community. Batman's hunting this same guy. I guess her secret identity is a teacher. And there's a really heavy-handed bullshit scene where she, like, is thinking about her kids. And, like, you know, oh, no, there's another empty desk today because that mobster man sold drugs to these kids and they keep dying in my classroom. And I'm like, fuck off! <laughs> this heavy-handed bullshit. It's uh really not good. Now, uh, let's see here. Blood Match is written by, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Doug Moinch? Moinch? Munch's Odyssey? It's M-O-E-N-C-H. What do you think? Munch. Uh, Doug Munch. Doug Munch. Uh, His most, now he's written a lot of Batman. His most notable thing, I think, is he's the creator of Moon Knight. So, maybe at some point this man has written good comics. It's not this one. I'll tell you that. It also doesn't help that the art is disgusting and I hate it. Uh, it's this guy named Paul Glassy. Glassy? Uh, I don't know. It's very, like, disgusting, like, Aeon Flux-ass looking. Uh, I don't know. That's not really a good description of what it is, but... That's all I can... It's it's art style that really just, like, doesn't look good to me. The Predator looks better than the other characters. I'll say that. So, the implications here is that the first one is canon. The first one happened. And, uh... The Predator that comes down... Is, uh... I want to say, although it's not explicitly stated, but it's implied... The son... Or at least a relative... Of the Predator from the first Batman vs. Predator comic. So, Batman effectively, but not really, killed that Predator. And this Predator is not out seeking, you know, the typical rules of Predatordom. (laughs) He's out for revenge. Which I think is dumb because I don't think they do that. I don't think Predators go to seek revenge. I just disagree. I just disagree. They're really simple characters, easy to understand. This kind of breaks the rules of them in a dumb way with this kind of idea that it's out for revenge to kill Batman. And also Batman like pretty much explicitly says at the end of the first one, I don't think they're going to come after me now because they know that I'm not to be fucked with because I'm fucking Batman. <laughs> I'm the goddamn Batman. <laughs> so... He's he's confused at first because he's like, well, I thought that like I beat I beat one. Why is another one coming after me? Uh, it's because it wants revenge because he killed like its dad or whatever. It's stupid. Uh, eventually, other predators show up, thus confirming this theory because they're trying to kill this predator because he's breaking the rules. And this could have been something that was maybe interesting, sort of, but the 
the bad predator kills one of the good predators, and then the only one left is like one bad, one good. We don't see the other good one until the very, very, very end, which is stupid. They don't really explore this concept of quote-unquote bad and good predators whatsoever. Maybe we'll get to talking about that when we talk about uh, our movie coming up here. Oh, man, we still got a movie to talk about. We're two hours into this podcast. This is a big one, man. Got to talk about a lot of garbage. Uh, I, I guess it's worth noting, but it's not really, that uh, Mob Man has hired like a bunch of, like like a big super-duper assassin squad team to go after Batman because he's fucking mad because Batman's putting the hurt on his operations and... I don't know, it's just, it's just like specifically, it's just like implied that like, all these people are the most badass motherfuckers around, and this guy's a demolition expert, and this is like the most badass woman swordsman in the world, and this one's a big biker man named Hellboy or something, (laughs) like, I don't know. They're all stupid looking, and they're all dumb, and they all suck. I think the only reason these characters are introduced is to give cannon fodder to the Predator so that the Predator can kill people because the Predator is not allowed to kill Batman or anything. So the Predator has to have bodies to kill throughout the course of this comic. And so, of course, they say, oh, man, they're the most badass motherfuckers around so that it seems like the Predator is really, really badass when he kills them. Uh, but actually, they're kind of bumbling and ineffective, at least I found. Uh, this one dude, the demolitions expert, tries to blow up Batman, Batman's Batmobile and fucks up and explodes it next to the Predator, and the Predator's like, fuck you, and kills him in one swipe. Anyway, whatever. Batman fights the Predator with the help of Huntress. The whole time, Batman's like, I don't need your help. Fuck you. As Batman is, you know, known to do. And Huntress is like, no, you need my help. Fine, fuck you, Batman. And that's just their whole character the whole time. It's so annoying and bad, dumb, badly written. And whatever. Gee, I wonder what happens when their characters like that. Oh, that's right. They work together in the end to beat the threat. They beat the Predator. Uh, The Predator gets chased off, I think, by the other Predator, the good Predator. And they, like, suicide like kamikaze in space they explode we don't even get to see a real conclusion to that and then batman is just like well that's the last we see of them until batman versus predator 3 it was fucking terrible don't read the second one i know you may be tempted because the first one is actually good i was looking forward to it after finishing one i was like oh man but as is usual the sequel is not good sequel's not good Anyway, next week we'll talk about ones that are maybe even worse. Superman Aliens, Batman Aliens. God. Uh, it, it won't be as long because I'll have less to say. Right. I actually wanted to talk about Batman vs. Predator because it's actually good. Speaking of not having much to say, I don't know about you, but I don't have much to say about Alien vs. Predator. I don't either. This is clearly the worst movie out of the bunch we've watched so far. AVP is a fucking train wreck yeah. of a movie. Uh, yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it has a clear, concise direction or purpose throughout most of it. Uh, uh, Predator-Aliens fight, that's the clear direction and purpose that's of this it. movie. That's it. And there's some things that are pretty cool that Predator and Aliens do, 
but it's all very overblown most of the time and annoying. <laughs> in a funny way. Yeah. In, in a lot of them. Lots of dumb slow-mo shots in this movie. The fucking... <laughs> the face huggers going out of the eggs in slow motion. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Did Zack Snyder direct this masterpiece? Yeah. No! Paul W.S. Anderson! What's the W.S. stand for? Well, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say weak sauce, Paul Weak Sauce Anderson. Basically, that, that, that's what this movie is: weak sauce. Paul Thomas Anderson's evil twin, who makes Definitely bad like movies. Definitely like a polar opposite yeah. of Paul Thomas Anderson. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's funny to me. It's like that other Cohen that like made Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> the it's not it's not the Cohen brothers. The third one, the, the third one we Cohen? don't talk. about. Dark Cohen. The one that lives in the cellar. <laughs> it's like that episode of The Simpsons where Bart had like an evil twin who was like, Hugo. He's <laughs> like a deformed hunchback Bart. <laughs> Don't let Hugo out. What do oh. we even say? I, like, it wasn't good enough to even talk about. <laughs> So I'm glad we spent a bunch of other airtime talking about other stuff. Here's what it is. Here's the entirety of Alien vs. Predator, right? You give me the plot, because I just talked for a long time. Okay, I'll give you the entire plot. I'll interject as I say dumb things. I'm going to do it in about approximately two minutes, because this is literally all the plot I could do it in two seconds, but Wayland Yutani, big company. Just Wayland, bitch! Yutani ain't in the picture yet. Yutani didn't do the corporate takeover yet. Oh, fine, whatever. Just Wayland. Wayland. Just big boy Wayland, man. (laughs) Shows up and goes like, I found Pyramid. Let's go investigate. I'll get all these people together. Oh, played by like, played by your boy. Your boy, uh, what the fuck's his name? Lance Henriksen, who played Bishop in Aliens. And played Bishop in Alien 3. <laughs> God. Doesn't really make sense. We, we talked about this, and I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. So, the implication from this is that, oh, the creator... The, the Wayland himself looks like Bishop because they based the Bishop model off of him. But then we meet human Bishop in three? Yeah. Who they based the android off of by his own admission. Direct contradiction. Yeah. Now, at first glance, I'd be like, okay, Alien 3 is a shit movie. I can understand retconning it. Because it's shit. I'd prefer it didn't happen. I'd prefer everybody from Aliens Lives to be in a sequel. Because that's more interesting than them just dying off screen. Right. But, too bad. You don't get to do that. Because everything else you bring to the table that retcons things also sucks, Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, It really also sucks. Yeah, it does. This entire movie sucks. You're not better than Alien 3, I'll tell you that. You're, You're the bottom of the list right now. Anyway, let's put together a crew, go investigate this pyramid. They gotta assemble the Avengers of exploring. Yeah, and they all <laughs> suck. None of them are likable characters, really. They're all just... No, and none of them can act. They're all just goats. I haven't really, I haven't really critiqued the acting of any of these movies so far, and that's usually because like Sigourney Weaver is present in a lot yeah. of them, and she's, you know, even when the script is bad, is good. Right. Here, everybody sucks. Sorry. Not great actors is a not great script. It's not much you could do. No. I mean, some of them are okay. And Lance Hendrickson is still fine. fine. Uh, our, our main character is played by Sana Lathan. Never saw her again in my life. Never again. Probably nope. because she can't act. 
Uh, and then what's his name? <laughs> Who uh, I, I, I thought was funny. Colin. No, not Colin Salmon. I'll get to him in a second. Yeah, Ellen Bremner. He was a uh, spud in train spotting. And uh, just like in that movie where he left a bunch of shit in someone's room. He's in this movie. Left a bunch of shit in your room. Which is a bunch of shit in this room. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, so, so go investigate this pyramid. All it turns out it's a big breeding ground for aliens so predators could come down and kill them for sport. The predators are who that one guy from the meme where he says aliens was talking about. They, they are the great Aztec gods who, you know, came down and made the aliens. Those were predators. Yeah. Now you know. Great. Mm-hmm. I forgot that happened. Uh, I remembered because it's a bad... <laughs> it's like a really bad plot. It undermines the aliens by giving more agency to the predators. The predators literally made them to hunt them because they're the ultimate prey, I guess. Maybe they should have made something that's easier to kill because it like kills all the predators in this one. Yeah. I don't know all how many predators, predators there are, but that's a real good way to population control. You just go send them to fight some aliens and just All the predators die. get big killed by aliens. There's a queen in it. And yeah. then, and then, oh, look, here we go. Lambs to the slaughter. Here come all their fucking ragtag group just getting killed off one by one. Uh-oh, they, started the, they started the goofy pyramid with the, the Zelda puzzles where it shifts around. Ooh. And Everybody's lost in the pyramid. Whoa! And then they all start dying, and nobody cares, because nobody cares about any of these characters. Nobody's likable. Yep, and then predators show up, like, ooh, kill alien time, starts killing aliens. Oh, no, they killed Colin Salmon. And then... My favorite actor from Resident Evil 1. Ooh. And then the main character makes sure her plot armor is all nice and zipped up, because then <laughs> she, she gets... She's about to get attacked by Predator Man. She's the one who figures out that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, and then so she gotta does it. team up with the Predators because they're the good guys, and the aliens go, are the bad guys. She go team up with Predator, and he like okay. But the Predators created the bad guys, so are the Predators the bad guys? Yes. Uh oh, <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is also my enemy. Oh, no. It should have just been, like, a, the lesser of two evils kind of thing. Like right. th That would have been a better way to phrase this. I guess, but still dumb. This is really dumb. And then they work together, kill aliens, and then Alien Queen gets off her fucking big old pregnancy pisser. <laughs> <and laughs> Plop out them eggs, bitch. And gets gets ready to fuck shit up. Yeah. Can we talk about to ride. Her, her dumb... Uh, gear that the predator makes for her out of an oh, yeah. alien makes her gives her an alien head to use as a shield <laughs> makes a spear out of an alien tail now, i was trying to like wonder if that would actually be effective as a shield an alien head it doesn't cover a whole lot of ground um but can an alien like an alien could puncture an alien right but... so it wouldn't work in that regard maybe with the acid but i'm not certain because no. like the acid is their blood so it doesn't melt through them constantly. <laughs> right. So they're fine. So maybe, but it, it's just like, you could tell just someone had that idea and then like Paul W.S. Anderson was like, whoa, that's dope. She uses an alien head for a shield, bro. And God. then they put it in even though it was like, it felt like a 12, 12 year old came up with it. Yeah. And dead to alien. Uh, this movie's PG-13, by the way. Uh, and this is also the first thing. 
I ever saw of either of these franchises. Wow, I'm and, so sorry. And that's a shame, isn't it? I'm so um, fucking sorry. It wasn't until much later in life that I got more interested in them uh, because I wasn't too enthused with this movie. Really? Yeah. I thought it was better when I was a kid because I was more easily impressed. Right. Uh, but young Genhart was an idiot because this movie is fucking trash. Oh, my God. But anyway, so they team up and they're like, we're getting all the aliens. We're getting out of here. We're blow place up. And then Alien Queen show up and go like, nah, bitch, I took the elevator. Fuck you. <laughs> Did not take the elevator, you fucking ass. Comes up and stabs that Predator man right in the chesticles. He's like, ouch, oof, ouch, oof, my Predator bones. And then she's like, oh, no, what do? And then finds out how to do and Queen Alien she just dead. She just stabs the thing and it's dead and it falls off the Arctic cliff. And then... And that's about it. I did big, like big when uh, ships show up and oh yeah, the the end the the stinger at the end. Earlier in the movie, the predator got face hugged, but you probably forgot about that. So then when they're when they take the dead predator body, all them predators uh, that show up a, a weirdly large amount of predators. By the way, it should have just been like two. Yeah, it was, they it made like it 10. like it was like fucking two hundred. <laughs> God. Uh, they take the dead body of the predator into the ship, and then a, a, a chestburster comes out of them, and it's it's a hybrid. It got the it got the tiny mouth, but it also got the it got the like woo the 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 horizontal expansion of vagina mouth that the predator has. Yeah, and that's the setup for the uh, I shit you not. It's actually canonically called this the Pred Alien. Uh, who will uh, we'll see next week in a, a movie that's even worse than this, if that's possible. Fuck yeah. yeah. That's it. That's literally it for Alien vs. Predator, lads. It's that bad. Yeah. There's not much to say about it. I got it a couple things I could movie. say, but 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 yeah, like, uh, not about the plot. Not at all. Uh, like, is there any positives we could even glean from this? No. I want to say that... Paul W.S. Anderson is usually someone who I feel doesn't give a shit at all about what movie he's making. He's not someone that has any love or care for the franchises that he adapts, usually. I don't feel like that's the case here. I feel like he really likes Alien. I feel like he really likes Predator. He's just not a good filmmaker. He doesn't know how to make anything good. He's not a good writer. He's not a good director. Does he have a good movie? Uh, I don't think so. He has Event Horizon, I think. Eh. Uh, okay. I haven't seen Event Horizon, so I don't know. Eh. I, I feel like just, uh, you know, the the care and the practical effects is kind of here. But at the same time, he just gets too steeped in creating this mythology that is dumb and bad. It's really bad. Uh... But I guess it's better than his Resident Evil movies. Ha 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 Oh, God, no. I think we mentioned that if this movie came out a little later, it wouldn't have been, uh, what's her name? It would have been Mila Hovovich 100%. instead. Because that's his, that's his wife who he puts in all of his movies so that they can make double money. It's like when you draft a quarterback and a wide receiver from the same team, you get double points. Yeah! yeah points. It's cheating the system. <laughs> God. Uh, any any more remarks about how this did fucking this, uh, movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, Sorry. God. 
how this movie happen? I guess it's kind of obvious. Yeah. They were like, ooh, combine the franchises, make the money. It worked, by the way. Oh, yeah, it made money. This movie made money. Um, <sighs> I got some quotes to read because they're funny to me. Oh. James Cameron. On learning, uh, you know, this is from Wikipedia. You can go look this up if you want. When he learns that they're going to make Alien vs. Predator, uh, James Cameron says it would kill the validity of the franchise. And uh, he he left the project because they were trying to talk to Cameron and Scott. And they were both like... (laughs) And then didn't do it. Right. Uh, James Cameron. To me, that was Frankenstein meets Werewolf. It was Universal just taking their assets and starting to play them off against each other, milking it. Here's the depressing, funny part. Here's Cameron's actual opinion of the movie after watching it. It was actually pretty good. I think of the five Alien films, I'd rate it third. I actually liked it. I actually liked it a lot. This means that... He he ranks his own movie. <laughs> and I assume Alien above this movie, but Alien 3 and Resurrection under it. And while those are shit... And I can't really defend them. They are better than this movie. Definitely. Even Resurrection. As Resurrection has enjoyable moments still. Yes! I, there is not a single... We had to make our own fun with this movie just by sitting there making fun of it. Because there was nothing enjoyable at its core. There's fun to have with that as... But, like, yeah, like... I, watching Resurrection was a way more fun experience because I didn't really have to make up that much shit to make fun of it. Right. Just let the movie happen. Dumb stuff happens constantly in that movie. It's bad. But I was engaged the whole time. I'll tell you that. This I was one, watching the damn movie. D- dude, Alien vs. Predator, I was checking out like less than an hour into the yes, movie. Yes, we were both checking our phone constantly. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah, it was just so bad. I don't know. I didn't look over to you. To, to oh yeah, hundred percent was. Like, we're almost instantly watching that movie. Mm. I fucking hate it. I'll give you Ridley Scott's quote right now when asked in uh, if he had watched the Alien versus Predator films. <laughs> That's the quote. Nice. But also, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't quite take that step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well what the fuck does he stand to gain from watching those movies thankfully mr scott he came up with his own reason for how the aliens get made and while it's stupid it's not this stupid where it's like i ah, the predators made him i don't know they made him to fuck fight you. um as this movie feels it feels like a fuck you it's uh th- this like i don't know i i, I don't care about any of it it, it's just it's just all fucking crap. I'm looking to see if there was a uh, a Sigourney Weaver quote. Oh, here it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I mentioned this before. Oh, there's another thing I could talk about here. Sigourney Weaver, like they were trying to make an Alien vs Predator movie like way early, like when they were talking about Alien Three even. Right. And uh, she was like, "No, no." <laughs> so Sigourney Weaver. Uh, said she was happy not to be in the film. Uh, quote, the reason I wanted my character to die in the first place. End quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another dumb thing that's just, like, historically weird. 
there was an, an uh, so Anderson, Paul W.S., just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the shitty Anderson. Said in an interview that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was willing to reply, reprise his role from Predator 1 if, and only if, he lost the election that was going on right then to be governor of California. And he didn't. He did not. So he did not have time to do that. And that's good. Don't solly this movie with a good thing. It doesn't deserve it. It doesn't deserve an Arnold Schwarzenegger no. cameo. It doesn't deserve anything. It doesn't deserve our us even talking about it right now. <laughs> All right, good. Let's stop oh, talking about it. I'm, I'm over it already. This movie's fucking garbage, and it's the kind of garbage where I just I can't find good words. Yeah. To talk about how garbage it is, I just it's got nothing going for it. There's nothing exciting happening. There's nothing cool going on. There was a couple cool things in the fights. The one positive I'll give it, and it's a reluctant positive. Sometimes in movies where creatures meet up and fight, you don't see them fight a lot. Freddy vs. Jason, they fight a lot. That's probably the best example of that I can think of. That, that movie fun. is fun and it knows what it is. It knows it's fucking stupid. This movie should have maybe embraced stupid a little more, I think. Instead of just being boring. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was stupid, but not in the fun way. But they do fight, and there is some unique shit that goes with that. Ooh, it can it can melt through the Predator's net. Ooh, the Predator has reflexes fast enough to catch a facehugger. Ooh. that You could tell that's all they thought about, though, as far as this movie goes. Right, and they build a movie around that. Which is bad. Bad, bad choice. Uh... Interesting setting with the Arctic, but then they have instantly go into pyramids that are boring. That sucks, too. It's something that, like, I feel like could have had potential with a completely different direction to it. I don't know what the direction to it is. Maybe being in space would maybe work better. Maybe in the future. Oddly enough, we never see the Predators in future settings. Not often. It's always in, like, the 90s. <laughs> in Danny Glover, L.A. Yeah. Why don't they ever... Like, do they die off? Probably. If they're always fighting aliens, that ain't gonna work. Right. Eventually just gonna get fucked. Just eventually just get killed. Come on, Predators. You gotta be smarter than that, boys. Drinking too many Millers when you go out hunting. I swear to God. <laughs> This is like this. I don't know if our metaphor works for this movie. That the predators are beer swilling hillbillies. 100% works for this movie. Does it? Yeah. This, I don't know if the hillbillies ever genetically engineered deers to hunt. No, it's just like <laughs> it's like going out and like buying a buying like a rabbit and then setting it out of its cage just so you could shoot it. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> it's like that kind of fucking trash <laughs> that we're alluding to with the predators would fucking do it. It's like, it's like, you know what it is? It's like, do you remember like a most dangerous game where there's like stuffy British men that hunt people because that's the most dangerous. Yeah. Well, what are stuffy British men? If not just very highly sophisticated rednecks, they're degenerates through and through. All they want to do is shoot shit and drink beer. But instead of beer, it's Chardonnay, but it's the same fucking shit gets you drunk. Same thing. 
these are the kind of predators that are like more the high class. Like we've been dealing with the country bumpkins and other movies. They go and fight fucking Donald Glover. <laughs> Sorry, Danny Glover uh, in, in fucking podunk nowhere. This one, they're like, this, this is the cream of the crop. They're going to fight the fucking aliens, brother. Yeah, the most dangerous game. And they die. They lose. Because they're still fucking hillbillies. Everybody lose. The Including us. Lose. Yeah, the viewer lose too. Lose, lose, lose. <laughs> Spin the wheel. Let's see if we win. It's just, it's just a word that says lose. There's no really options. Big, yeah. That's There's the no thing. divots in the pie. Just spin the wheel. Lose, lose. Spin the wheel. Lose. That's it. That's... It's the Price is Right wheel, but everything says zero. That's Alien versus Predator. That's that's AVP. The movie sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm so done with it. Aren't you excited say. for next week where it's worse? It's you know, unimaginable. It's less than zero. It's below zero. Fuck yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna kill us. We're I, going to die. I fucking hope so. <laughs> I certainly fucking hope so. Get God on the phone. Get God on the phone! Tell him we're gonna die! Why'd you let this movie happen? Why would you do this? Why?